And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of 2021, and as I've been saying every week this month, we ain't got no fucking theme this month, so just bear with us. There will be no tonal consistency between each product this week. Fucking deal with it. Yeah. Uh, however, I have a big surprise for you. You may have noticed in the intro here that uh, Kyle is back on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my regular co-host Kyle's back, and I'm very excited to chat about some movies, catch up on some sim- cinema, if you will. Uh, so being as Kyle has been out of the loop for the past couple of weeks, I figured it would be only appropriate to have him select the movie for this week. So we began May with a review of the Oscar darling Sound of Metal. And then we moved on to The Fifth Element, directed by Luc Besson, uh, a beloved 90s sci-fi film. Uh, so what are we doing this week, though, Kyle? Well, we're going to try to talk about uh, two, 2021's Saint Maud, uh, while I just imagine not choking you for doing uh, The Fifth Element without me. Uh, but it, it had to happen, so it's understandable. Kyle, uh, you don't understand, man. <laughs> like, like I had like six different choices, and every single fucking one of them I know. was like one. It was like all of your kids lined I up know. in a row, and I had to pick the one to shoot. And I yeah. was like, well, it's got to be the ugly one with the freckles. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can't, I can't hold it against you. I completely understand. Uh, but yes, this is a, a Saint Maud from 2021. I believe this is an A24 production, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw the A24 pop up, so you know it's good. Um, this is directed by Rose Glass. I think this is either a f- uh, first, maybe second movie. I think it might be her debut film. I'm not positive on that. Um, I think she's a relatively newer director. Uh, stars Mor- um, Morth... Damn it. Morth- Morthfid Clark. Uh, she's Welsh. And then uh, Jennifer Ely. Uh, she's American. And that's pretty much our main two. Uh, we've got a few other little casts little sprinkled throughout but really these are our main two that we're dealing with yeah uh, it's a very i'd call it like kind of a quaint production uh, mm-hmm. it's a very very handsome film yes. uh, both from an audiovisual standpoint and in terms of the quality of the performances and whatnot but in terms of the amount of ground we cover like geographically or otherwise with the story uh, it's very intimate it's mm-hmm. very focused there are very few characters. It takes place almost entirely in a single town, basically. I believe it does take place yeah. in, in a single town. Um, and I you can tell a, it was... I think one square mile. I think it takes place within one square mile. like just Yeah, literally one walking route, basically. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's obviously a, a modest production. Like They weren't dealing with all the money in the world here. However, it's not that kind of film. What we're trying to do here is tell a very intimate character study... Uh, about uh, actually Kyle you want to give us a plot summary it's actually been a couple weeks since we've we've done one of these so how about you give us a plot rundown Uh, yes a a pious young woman uh, takes an assignment caretaking for a dying woman and uh, Maud our main character kind of has a downward spiral that ends in uh, well we'll get there it ends poorly (laughs) Mary Mishaps and Sue yes that's my go to (laughs) Yes, but um, a question I've been asking a lot lately, whenever we've been doing episodes, is uh, why why Saint Maud? Um, why did you pick this film? Well, horror mo- good horror movies are kind of hard to find these days, uh, just because of the shift in what we're doing with horror. Um, 
This is, I'd say that this is along the lines of the prestige horror. Uh, it's a nifty little prestige horror film. Uh, and it is nothing like, it's not a fantastic, like it's, how would you say? It? It's not going to elevate the genre. Like this is just nice within the genre. This is just a nice little horror movie that we get. Uh, I think it's classy. It's less. I guess it's a little less horror, more drama. But I think it definitely has enough horror elements for it to be considered horror. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely more drama if you ask me. I don't think I was ever outright frightened by anything that happened in this film. There are no jump scares of any sort, really. I mean, there are a couple of quick cuts that definitely have some images there where you find yourself... Well, I mean, I was going to say, arguably, Hereditary is more unsettling than it is horror, and it, there's a lot of drama to it. Yeah, uh, Hereditary, I, I don't know. I got a different vibe from that one. Mm. I feel like that one was somewhat more ambitious in some ways like it it I, I wouldn't call it like a just like a radically better film but this one feels like feels like almost more interested in just telling a story that mm -hmm. just happens to have some some creepy elements to it mostly because we're uncomfortably close uh to the central character of the story um this is very much Maud's film yes uh, morth morthfid you said is how you pronounce her name right that's how i heard her say it was morthfid yes okay good on you for actually checking because if you look at it folks at home uh, it's spelt morph morphid or morphied yeah. well when i saw welsh i'm like that's not how you say it it's not said phonetically so <laughs> it's said differently <laughs> i'm like i gotta look up and see how she says it but yeah, it, it's most certainly her film. She's in, I believe, pretty much every scene in the film. Yeah. Um, it's it's like one part tragedy, but also with some horrific elements to it because mm -hmm. it's only tragic because we see that this per we see so many angles of this person because we get to spend the whole sub ninety minutes. Um, I, I know you like that part of the yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. Eighty four minute runtime. That's always a bonus. Um, good or bad. Ariaster, <laughs> take a note, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's only through getting to know this character, getting under their skin, getting to see them in so many different lights that that you develop that sense of like both fearing and kind of caring for them at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, at the end of the day, I, I I feel like yes, the film was certainly engineered to be a horror film, but it's not a terrifying horror film. It's more just unsettling in that. Unfortunately, this seems like a story that could be true in some circumstances, mm -hmm. um, and it's only through spending so much time getting to know a person with in this particular situation um, that you actually get to do the mental math of trying to piece together how people get to these certain places in their minds um but yeah we were talking before we started recording and for this one because it's a short film and because because it essentially is a downward spiral tale it only seems appropriate to go proceed through the film linearly yeah um so um right off the bat uh our film opens with uh really really creepy imagery I, yeah. I will give the film that much uh partly it has to do with the color grading we have like a a sickly green glow um yeah and then we have the kind of shocking image of Maud's face covered in blood and then um i really love the lighting and the angle on mm -hmm. this corpse that is in the same room with her um it it looks subhuman like it, it 
it does it looks like a monster but you know obviously it's supposed to be a person but this whole opening sequence like it got me hooked i was like I, i'll fucking watch this <laughs> it's it sets the tone and i think it's uh really useful uh, what the director does uh she sets the tone early so it's like something horrific has happened and it's unclear what's happened but you know what this is probably going to come up again so you're on your toes throughout the film well it, at certain points you're on your toes uh, and you can kind of see what's coming at the end because of it but at that point you've kind of forgotten um but yeah, so uh, Maud's clearly a caretaker of some kind, maybe a nurse, uh, and she's looked like she's just experienced something traumatic. Uh, it looks like we can kind of deduce that she's the one that caused this. Um, there is a, a reoccurring thing, and it kept making me think of Naked Lunch. Was the bugs? Uh, it, it's in. There's a looks like a little CGI cockroach is on the ceiling above her, uh, and it comes up one or two times. Uh, throughout the film, but I'm not sure what the timing, what the or what the significance of the bug is, and what the timing has to do with it. Yeah, actually, I mean, let's get right into that, like, because this is something that comes up at least three different times in the film. Um, it's a it's a roach that's on the ceiling. So we have a, a shot composition here where Maud is kind of like squatting in the corner of a some sort of hospital room, and there's a dead woman on a gurney. It looks like it was not a pleasant death. Pretty um, recent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very recent, and they're disheveled, and they're not—they're kind of like splayed out on on their hospital bed in a way that would suggest that there were like convulsions or there was a struggle of some sort. Because they're not like laying comfortably in the center of their bed with their head on the pillow. They're kind of like half hanging off, and like their arms are slung all over the place and also their hair is in tatters and there's blood dripping on the floor so there is blood evident yeah and Maud is of course covered in it but she's squatting in the cover in the corner with her her arms spread wide and she is staring straight ahead into the camera essentially but then we get an overhead shot and she's looking up at the ceiling and again this whole room is lit with this like really ghastly sickly green um, yeah. That really adds a lot to the atmosphere of it. But as Kyle said, there's a, a roach above her. And again, she's just like staring straight up into the thing. And then we fade from that to the title St. Maud, um, along with the customary uh, elevated horror uh, electronic droning music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. it. <laughs> no, but uh, the roach. Um, so I haven't, I, I'll confess, I haven't like put a whole lot of thought into into what that might symbolize. Um, I just watched this last night, and then I had a, a, a work day in between this, so yeah. I may have lost a thing or two in between. But um, have you ever read uh, Lord of the Flies, Kyle? I have, yes. Okay. I mean, it was, like, required reading for, for me in, like, middle school or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't remember it 100%, but I do remember there was one character who, after they killed the pig you know mm -hmm. uh, basher it like slitter throat basher in or whatever uh, they like put the the pig's head on a pike and then there's a scene where one of the kids goes to visit the pig and i remember they we put a lot of time into examining what what happened there because it, it's kind of like a the original version of beowulf where mm -hmm. there's there's a whole chunk of that story missing which in the Robert Zemeckis movie, they came up with their own idea of what may have transpired. Basically, there's a scene where um, Beowulf kills Grendel, and then he goes to visit Grendel's mother, and apparently the original text of the story 
Um, nobody knows what happened when he went to visit her. Uh, it's implied that he killed her, um, but the movie, they like make a whole plot element out of what happened in the cave with Grendel's mother. Um, with Laura the Flies, there was like a, a kid that I think it was, I think it was implied that he was epileptic or something. Um, and he had like a seizure when he went to visit the pig's head or something. Like he had some sort of okay. seizure that was that you could spin as being like some sort of religious experience or something. Um, and that's kind of what I got from the roach here, where it's like maybe in this moment, in this really horrible, traumatic moment, she, she looks up, she sees this roach and derives some sort of meaning from it. Um, Possibly. It's like... it. I don't I don't know, but I mean there's a lot of that in this movie where there's a lot of things that don't necessarily make sense unless you share the perspective of the person who's, you know, dealing with said events. Well, in Naked Lunch, I remember the bugs were a huge thing in that movie, but there was one in particular, the bugs that kept crawling on the wall, and I associated with associated with the lifestyle of somebody who's using it's generally like your living area becomes very gross like you're just not keeping up and you end up getting cockroaches and stuff like that and i think different insects and animals symbolize different things in film i just don't know what a cockroach does because i i believe this is supposed to be a cockroach uh and i think it made sense in naked lunch here i yeah i don't know what it's supposed to mean um i mean a, a roach i'd imagine can symbolize resiliency it can res- uh, mm. symbolize life and death um in that you know the roaches cycle is off it, i believe it's a very short one and most insects aren't known for longevity however <laughs> yeah. their ability to perpetuate their species is incredible um but yeah it can be a sign of like pestilence or filth of some sort um and like beyond that just like from a from a symbolic standpoint i guess you could also reason that it's a a sign of unease uh just just it's a it's a constant presence that's like try as you might good fucking oh, luck yeah. eliminating yeah eliminating the presence of an insect from your life yeah it, it might even be a metaphor for mental illness itself it's just like i i know it's there i might not be looking directly at it but i'm aware of its presence and yeah it's a thing it's the monkey on your back like it, it it's never going to be gone it's it's there i can't do anything about it and it's gross but <laughs> i can't it, it's just up there yeah, I mean that that's very possible. Um, and honestly, the the cockroach isn't really that big of a deal in the movie. But I just wanted to, I had it as one of my little side notes on here uh, just to bring up. Um, I do well, like well, this. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say we'll we'll pay attention as we go through because um, it does seem to herald like big events in Mod's story. Yeah. Like like whenever whenever we spy a cockroach it seems like something is about to happen or it's like heralding their arrival of a new development or something uh next is the uh i like this next shot uh after the saint mod we get it looks kind of like blood uh but it's actually tomato soup I, it, at first i'm like is that blood i'm like oh no that's some tomato soup i'm like that looks like some good tomato soup too Ooh, she's about to get some tomato soup um, yeah, she's got her soup, and uh, she's got her. I like how she's got all of her stuff laid out on the bed, and you can kind of get a sense that she's she lives in a little studio apartment, and she, uh, all of her stuff is just very neatly folded, uh, neatly folded on the bed, and uh, she's basically going to go to her new assignment. She's packing up for her new assignment. Yeah, I, I like stuff like that in film. Like we've talked about this before, just visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like we have a situation here where just seeing how somebody goes about their routine, like I call it like the, it's like the, 
indie film handbook essentially it's like yeah. chapter one morning routine like how how to how to grip your viewer well show them the morning routine of your character and if you can make that interesting well then you've got them hooked i feel like um, it's kind of an asshole thing that actors would ask about like just some smoking a cigarette like so how would my character be eating the soup uh how yeah just like all these little details that you have to get right well, yeah, either that or it's Johnny Depp asking what kind of hat he can wear to the set today. Mickey Rourke <laughs> asking, uh, can I bring my, my uh, pet chihuahua to the set because it fits the role, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like the, the tomato soup shot. It's like this macro that's so tight that you really don't know what you're looking at. And even the color of the font of St. Maud like fades into the orangey kind of red of the mm. tomato soup. So it, it looks really good. And the bubbling of it is unsettling. And they really put the mic like right there up the, up the things fucking nose. So you can hear every bubble pop. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson does this, like does the same thing with food and phantom thread it's it's gorgeous honestly you should you, you need to watch that movie <laughs> oh, i have kyle i, I oh. was getting on you <laughs> uh, uh i'm sorry uh, my girlfriend hasn't seen it yet <laughs> oh well yeah i mean if you want to get your your girlfriend in the mood for a good meal um <laughs> maybe put on part of that movie not the whole thing but yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, very her, good film though i enjoyed it, it yeah it's very good uh yeah so she uh she goes to this house which is like right around the corner uh i thought uh i don't know where this is supposed to take place uh but there is it's like a beachside town uh she lives near the boardwalk there's like uh like like boardwalk attraction like there might be a little carnival stuff uh but basically this house is like less than a mile away up on the hill it's pretty big yeah it's quite local but it is also quite removed from from the major town center which uh has signage that says coney island on it by the way um however oh, it is it coney is, it's not coney island though that's the thing it's not coney island however they do have a ferris wheel and like a, a mini like arcade and it does have coney island signage however the the plot description for the film describes it as an english seaside town oh, uh, so somewhere in england i guess um but yeah i I, I love like how they they set up the shots on her walk because it's such a lonely walk and yes. even even the location they chose for her apartment has that like narrow walkway down the steps to the major boardwalk and it's very isolating mm-hmm. and that's that's one major theme I noticed that really kind of drives home some of the characterization of Maud is like she's incredibly isolated and a lot of it seems self-imposed um, yeah, actually uh, now that you mentioned now that i mentioned it um the the uh the tomato soup shot like one of the first things she does is we actually hear activity outside it's like kind of aggro like conversations going on outside yeah my note is pious tomato soup slums because she's got some you probably can relate to this some shitty neighbors uh oh yeah yeah she has some shitty neighbors that are making a lot of fucking noise out her window and uh her her instant reaction to it is to shut shutter the window Mm-hmm. And then she sits down and eats her her soup, her very sad fucking soup. Yes, very. No, sad no soup. grilled cheese, just just straight fucking tomato soup. And that's probably and her, some shitty Campbell's tomato soup too. That's not even that good shit. Yeah, I know you. I know you were projecting like delicious tomato soup when mm-hmm. you're watching it because you you make good tomato soup, and I know you you you're a big fan of grilled cheese and whatnot. 
no, this is just the saddest fucking yeah. cup of soup you can imagine. And, and her apartment is not exactly a looker. Like it's, this is not a place you show off to your friends. But yeah, yeah, I I think it's telling that one of the first things that she does is she's exposed to other humans and then she shuts them out. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's you know, be people being loud and awful out the yeah. window. But um, when she uh, when she gets to the house. Uh, she comes in and she's immediately like greeted by the nurse who she's taking over for. So she's going to be like a live-in nurse, basically. Um, and they have an exchange here at the door. Kyle, do you want to run run down what happens here? Yeah, you're gonna make me say it. Uh, but I'm gonna say it because I think it's important. Uh, hey, we have we have like eight percent of our listeners from the UK and Ireland, so they they understand this is a word that they're allowed to use all the time apparently so. yes apparently it's a word they're allowed <laughs> to use but like i said i think it's important for uh important for the movie so she's new 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 assignment and the lady's just like like mom just is kind of like quietly just like coming in like hi this lady's like okay here's what she needs she needs this done at this time this done at this time she has her meals this time and she's like on her way out like she's no time to talk to her about this and mom's just like so what she's like she's like bit of a cunt and that I, I think it's important because that sets up the rest of the exchanges for the movie. Um, you're just waiting for her to turn into that. And honestly, when you, we first meet her, uh, her name's Amanda. Uh, I have a rich lady with terminal illness, and she is a smoker. Uh, there's nothing really... She carries herself what you would assume like a rich person would. Uh, and her interactions with Maude are very clinical, just very professional. Like, yes, no, can you do this for me? She's not really eager to get to know her right away. Yeah, she's she's very, uh, I wouldn't say standoffish, but it's more just like you can tell there's an unwillingness to yeah. let her in. Where it's I'm like, a- you're, you're, you're comfortable at arm's length. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm unaffected by your presence. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like I... I will appreciate the things you do, but I'm not going to let you know. (laughs) I won't make a fuss, but, you know, you're not going to get a pat on the back. And Yeah, there's (laughs) kind of like almost like an implied, like, I need you to do your job well. Just if you do your job well, that's I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything else. We'll be fine. Yeah. So sorry to keep stalling things, but two things before we move forward here. Um, First is this film has occasional voiceover. It does. Um and delivered from Maud's perspective. And immediately, um, Kyle mentioned in his notes, uh, pious tomato soup. <laughs> Shitty neighbors. <laughs> um, the, the pious aspect comes from the decoration in her apartment, and mm-hmm. I believe she crosses herself before she eats as well. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, on her walk to her client's house, uh, we have voiceover delivered by her, and the tone of it... I. F- not so much the tone it's more the the word choice actually i found it really interesting uh, because it's very very early in the film like in the first few minutes all we know about this mod character is that something really bad happened in a hospital uh she has a thing for roaches and shitty tomato soup Mm -hmm. and uh she has a very close relationship with god like a chummy relationship with god uh, to the point that she acknowledges that she is his servant but the the word choice is like Oh, she talks to God a lot. 
yeah. <laughs> like, like she, she, she doesn't do the yay God when, 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 like my grandma used to do it at the dinner table. <laughs> like it's, it's like no, she doesn't have like a a standard prayer that she rattles off. No, she just straight up just has conversations. She's like the Irishman from Braveheart. Like, yes, father. <laughs> no, I'm much better looking than this man, <laughs> Stephen. But, that's his name. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was something I noticed right off the bat. That's like. Oh, the the level of comfort, like the casual nature of of these conversations. It's like, oh wow, this this is somebody who is feeling that they have not not just like a savior, but also like a friend, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it carries on to her initial interactions with Amanda, or her her client who has a lymphoma, I believe. Um, and I, she she basically tells us the viewer. Uh, she exposits to us what Amanda's health situation is, and she even mentions that at some point she did some research on her um, to learn about her uh, her dance background and her financial history and the fact that she's like a minor celebrity of sorts. Um, uh, she also finds her, she kind of snoops, uh, she does some snooping after her like initial chores. Like I think she gives her a bath, gives her some food, uh, and then she's just kind of going around the house and she finds all of her posters, which... I feel like for somebody who has uh, especially lived, uh, like, their job was something phys- physically ori- uh, oriented, like dancing. Having that taken away from you has got to be crushing. Like, the, like for somebody, who, like, I guess, like, brain work, where you're just, like, sitting at the desk and writing. Like, you could probably still do in a state like this, but it, it's really unfortunate for her because she's also wheelchair bound. Yeah, actually, this was something that came up when my brother and I were talking about Sound of Metal that uh so like that movie's really really well put together i mean it's a very very good film um but one thing that really was a strength to it especially in its early scenes is that the characters are set up perfectly for the predicaments they find themselves in where mm. you have a situation where the the person who would have the most difficulty grappling with this particular situation you know, i.e going deaf would be a, a mu- like a body proud musician. Oh yeah, and a recovering addict. So somebody who maybe doesn't do the best of things to the like for themselves when they're put under certain pressures. Yeah. In this case, very similar. We have like Kyle had mentioned, a former dancer slash choreographer, somebody who activity being on their feet, be, feats of physicality mm-hmm. were were the things that brought them glory and happiness in their life, and now they're robbed of it. So if they're feeling a little cunty about it yeah maybe give them a break yeah. <laughs> like, like they they just had like you know the thing that made them them kind of taken away from them um although it's it's hard to tell how suddenly because i did notice during the routine of taking care of her this first day with amanda essentially um you can tell she's got this routine down like mm-hmm. she's already like she's like oh it's time for injections oh it's time for a bath she's just like she's already like one step ahead of mod in every part of the process um but the other thing that I wanted to point out, I did it's, mention there were two things. It's the choreography of caretaking. This is what she's primed for. She knows what steps go next. Yeah. Yeah. She she knows all the beats. She knows yeah. all the moves. Uh, she, I mean, yeah, you got to learn quick. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to point out was uh, the house, Kyle. Hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm sure this was something that jumped out at you as well. Um, just I'm curious about just your thoughts about the setting of Amanda's house. Yeah, uh, that, that's why I was saying like there's something very like uh, something like a Darren Aronofsky film about this. This reminds me so much of Mother, where 
like the lighting is just all natural like natural like indoor lighting like we're not putting it like we're not lighting this like scream <laughs> like or it's like crazy well lit and uh, the way the tension builds in the film isn't quite on the level of Aronofsky but it same kind of idea like it's a similar idea but yeah I lo- I really like this setting um and I think the setting pairs well with the actress who plays Amanda because there's uh, she has something sinister about like she has a sinister look about her. I don't think it's on accident in this movie. And I think the house is kind of haunting looking as well. Like there's there there's like a sinister energy about it. Yeah, it's it's uh there's a lot of sharp angles. Like the wallpaper and the the paint on the walls and protect and the particular really jumped out at me. It's like, wow, there's a lot of like aggressive triangles on the walls and so like these these tessellations, these patterns we have on the wall are very very sharp and it has like a little bit of an oppressive atmosphere to it. Cause like you said, the lighting um, it's kind of a lot of the light is just like coming through the curtains essentially. It's just like, I don't, it's a dark kind of not dingy, but just like a dark outdated home. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like it's from the seventies or something. And a lot of the furniture and such kind of feel like that. It feels out of place. Like there's something off kilter about it. And um, also, from a casting standpoint, just having her be American also, I think, helps a little bit because mm-hmm. um, she has that directness of speech. Her her accent doesn't match anyone else in the cast, um, so she can come across as kind of abrasive in a way that maybe yeah. some of the other characters don't. Yeah, because there's I I, I can imagine uh, somebody who's English having just a like a like a nicer accent and just being a little bit more pleasant. Where yeah, where she's just American, she's like, "You're mod." <laughs> just kind of go back with her. <laughs> yeah, no, she she has that directness, and there's 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 like a I don't know an unwillingness to conform to norms and stuff. Where it's like she she comes across as a person who, again, she's lived an entire lifetime before she's been confined to this wheelchair in this home. Um, you're probably set in her ways. Yeah. <laughs> she brings America with her. Well, she's, it seems like she's been bumping shoulders in high society. Like, that's also how she kind of carries herself. I mean, her party feels like the, the party, the rap party from Ed Wood. Yeah. <laughs> All we need is Sarah Jessica Parker to show up and call everybody weirdos. I don't and remember. Tell them their movies suck. I don't remember that movie very well. I know you do. I only remember. Uh, Oh, what's his the guy who plays uh Bort uh Oh my gosh, Dracula. I can't think of the actor who's playing him in that movie. Oh, uh was it Martin Martin? Uh, I can't Yeah. I can't yeah. remember his name. Him, but Martin. I sure. Uh, <laughs> uh but I also Be- remember Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi. Playing, yeah. Uh but I remember uh, Bill Murray getting baptized in that. And he's like, "Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior?" He's just like, "Sure." <laughs> yeah that's uh martin landau by the martin way. landau sorry uh, yeah. yeah um yeah sure <laughs> sure sure <laughs> no one of my favorite lines and it's actually from the rap party scene is a uh, he has at bill murray has a mariachi band with him at the party for some reason why not yeah i guess he was going down to mexico to get a sex change didn't work out uh, his his friend got murdered, and now he's back in the states. What are you gonna do? But he's he's, he's just everything he says is like so flat. But he's like he he says his friend was murdered. He escaped back to the United States, but he has to like finish things off by saying our luggage 
was stolen. <laughs> like that like that was the worst thing that happened on his trip to yeah. Mexico. Like you didn't have to add that in there. We get yeah, it. It's like, oh you, you didn't you say your your friend died? Our luggage was stolen. Stolen. <laughs> sure. Sure. I love it. But yeah, after uh after Maud goes through like the, the first day's routine um with Amanda, uh, Amanda gets a gentleman caller. Uh, yeah. Who actually, I believe, uh, the previous nurse did inform her about. But it's it's some guy who, it seems like maybe in a previous life, maybe like maybe when she was more active in her dance career, like they were buddy buddy or something. But now he now he seems like he's not exactly the best of emotional anchors for Amanda. But he yeah. he's here to he's here to party. And uh, by the way, the previous nurse did said, uh, try not to let her hit the booze so hard because she really likes to go hard. Um, yeah, but yeah, Maud like just kind of excuses herself. Like, I, I think she does mention in the voiceover that like she didn't have to leave the house, but she felt like maybe for like comfort, she it it would be better for her just not to be there. Yeah, I mean that's that's good instincts. Yeah, I would do the same. Yeah, no, it's kind of weird. Some dude shows up and he's kind of got his dick half out, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be here for that. Yeah, but um, Maud just kind of like goes a walk, like on a walk along the boardwalk and uh, she gets a very sad meal at a very sad restaurant i did like the shot of the guy putting his glass eye back in yeah (laughs) which she watches the whole time Uh. yeah yeah i mean i would too like but but the way she's watching like she's just looking straight at it i would be like oh the guy's putting in his glass eye i would just kind of like look out the side to, to quote the 40 year old virgin you gotta use your peripherals man yeah use your peripherals. <laughs> you gotta use your peripherals um but eventually like as as she's finishing her meal she does get a phone call um i believe it's from amanda's phone but it's probably the guy calling her yeah um to to head back to the house and i noticed that a uh, maude is flicking a, a lighter here yeah yeah, it's a small detail, but they do dedicate an entire shot to this, and it's like put a pin in that. Yeah, <laughs> Maud has a lighter <laughs> and a tendency to ignite it. <laughs> um, but yeah, she goes back to the house and like, what happened here? Did basically Amanda drink a little too much and get belligerent or, or yeah, sick and or sick? Yeah, I think she got sick and belligerent. She's just they're having like a like we're old friends, but we're yelling at each other like you fucking bitch. Like it's just kind of going back and forth, but it seems playful uh, in a way. But yeah, I think she's just a little under the weather at this point. Uh, yeah, she's puking in a popcorn bowl. Pretty disgusting. Um, and I think this is where she she takes care. Like he leaves, and this is where she goes to take care of her. Like puts her into bed, and I think they have a little chat here. Yeah, so Maud's uh, relationship with God was kind of New. revealed between her and uh, Amanda uh, when she was doing her stretches on the floor with her. Like, she has a crucifix, and yeah. Amanda noticed it and asked her, like, who's your saint? She was like, Mary Magdalene. She was like, didn't realize that she was a saint, but okay. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> But she does say that she ordered the crucifix online, but... Uh, it's one of those things that uh, this is the follow-up to that. So she did, the the patient did recognize that her nurse is religious. Um, and after that, that drunken exchange with the gentleman caller, uh, Amanda does spew on the carpet. Yeah. Um, Maude does clean it up for her. But yeah, she she puts her to bed, and we get a uh, a nice little dialogue scene here where our two 
major characters, Maude and Amanda, uh, kind of go back and forth. Where uh, it's interesting because it's like Amanda's kind of probing her, like mm-hmm. she's trying to figure out what she's dealing with exactly. Because Maude is Maude is a peculiar girl. Like at this point, like you can tell, she, like she's not threatening or anything. She's just a little off. Like you can tell, she's maybe not the most sociable person. Yeah. Uh, at least in her current form. Um, but what we learn here is that uh, Maud is a recent convert. Like I, I believe Amanda teases out of her that uh, she's only been religious. Like she's only had a relationship with God for about a year. Um, and do you remember some of the things that were said here about like uh, what it feels like to, like, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this, but basically she, she feels that she feels God's presence, and. It's it's like a it, not a routine thing, but it is a thing that like it's it's something that occurs semi regular in her life, I guess. Yeah, she feels his presence, but she also occasionally he speaks to her, and she's like, he speaks to you, and she's like, sometimes yeah, and sometimes it's just kind of like an inst, like it kind of guides you. Um, and Amanda, drunkenly, uh, <laughs> says. The the key words to ignite any believer's ears to perk up, which is I was. She's like, I've been contemplating what happens, like, what happens when I die. And anybody who's religious is like, oh, this is a chance to pounce here. Uh, and she takes that opportunity. Yeah, uh, she she leans in thinking that this is an opportunity for, like, Amanda seeking comfort or something. Mm-hmm. She, you know, tells her that it's like, oh, you know, there, there's, it's not nothing waiting for you at the end of the road, um, there's more for you it's all it's all good things if you've lived a good life so she's like like you said this is her opportunity to pounce and let me float this by you kyle because i i want your honest answer here yeah when in in your initial viewing of this film because as far as i understand you've seen it twice correct yeah when in your initial viewing of this film did you notice that mod has two different eye colors uh, I noticed it the first time, and I completely forgot about it. It wasn't until I think near the end of the like when she, when um her coworker, her ex coworker, comes into the apartment later. I think that's when I noticed it. Okay, for me it was slightly before that, maybe only a few minutes before that. There's a scene where she's walking directly into the camera, like she her head is center frame and she's staring directly into us, mm-hmm. and it's a. Uh, it's around the time she has that really awkward exchange on the docks with that other nurse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, probably, like, five minutes before you did. So, um, I thought that was interesting because as I'm, as I'm kind of, like, scrubbing through the film right now, it's like, oh, that was apparent the entire time. Just for some reason, even me, who's fairly observant, didn't notice it until more than halfway through the film. Um, I'm not sure if that was if that's something for the character or maybe just the actress has two different colored eyes. I haven't done the research, but it works. Yeah, uh, it's def it's definitely something that fits for the character. Uh, but um, this is where we get our our first sequence. Where would you call? Th- I don't know what you would call this. Is this a fantasy? Is this a hallucination? Or how are we supposed to treat this here, Kyle? Yeah. So I I, I mentioned before we started talking about the film, uh, like this is something that I think is hard to do without it being kind of hack is when you have a main character who's hallucinating or something is like is this happening to them is nobody else seeing the hallucination or whatever but she leaves the room and she kind of has uh the lights kind of start to flicker and you can see that she's uh, about to orgasm basically like she's uh, 
on the cusp there, it seems like. And she kind of has a little little thing on the on the stairs. Like, she kind of lays down and just kind of lets it happen. And I don't know if the house is shaking. I think it's just the lights are flickering a little bit. And I think she gets there. And then we kind of uh, we cut to the next day. But, yeah, we there's something um, seemingly paranormal about Maud. Yeah, uh, like Kyle said, the, the, the lights are flickering and everything. This is a whole big thing that happens as soon as she exits Amanda's bedroom. She's like trying to go up the stairs, but she ends up collapsing. And this is like, I guess, divine ecstasy or something. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, I want to say at least one instance of it is uh, CGI assisted a little bit. But there's when she when she reaches climax, uh, because she does this it's a couple slightly. of times. A couple of times it's slightly like the first time it seems like it, it's just her doing an acting thing but like the second time like eyeballs aren't meant to bulge that much like, <laughs> like I, that looked unhealthy and, and, but it's massively effective because it, it looks naturalistic like it's not overdone to the point that it looks distracting and like okay somebody put a computer to that girl's face and made it look all horrific it's like yeah, you could probably... in the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have the mummy mouth thing going, yeah. but she's trying. Yeah. <laughs> but it it really works. It's it's kind of horrifying, actually. Well, it's interesting. Uh, now, do you know anything about Mary Magdalene? Not much, Kyle. Oh. <laughs> I thought you. I assumed that you knew about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a. I believe she was an adulteress. Either she cheated on her husband, or she was a prostitute. Either way, I think she was about to get stoned for adultery. And uh, Jesus came in, basically, and was just like, you motherfuckers, get out of here. I think he who has sinned cast the first stone. So it's interesting that her saint, which I'm not sure if she is, is Mary Magdalene. Yeah, it, it's uh, like, I, now that you mention that, it's like, hmm. And now I understand why why Amanda would be like, I wasn't I wasn't aware that she was a saint, but okay. okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, interesting. But uh, around this time is also where we uh, were introduced to uh, Maud's practice of self harm. Um, yes, uh, and it's interesting if she's been a Catholic. I'm assuming she's uh, this is Catholic. Uh, if she's only been a Catholic for like a year, it's very odd that this is how she's doing things, because this is something. Um, uh, Catholic schools used to be a bit more uh, brutal with their discipline, uh, smacking knuckles. Uh, I think having people kneel on certain things like this were uncomfortable. Uh, and it's interesting that she's picked up on that. If she's only been a Catholic for very little time, I don't know. I don't know enough about Catholic practices to to say one way or the other. But part of me wants to think that maybe she kind of invented her own flavor of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know, I, I want to say it's an antiquated practice, maybe some parts of the world still do it, but flagellants certainly used to be a thing where yeah. you, you would flog yourself, uh, yeah. you know, for piety, basically. Yeah. Um, in this case, she, she's very inventive with, with her, her choice of self-harm. I, I think the first instance is a unpopped popcorn kernel. She kneels on them. Yeah. That would hurt. That yeah. would hurt. That would uh, hurt. But that's very creative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, shit, the college I went to had a course called Madness and Creativity. Uh, these things tend to go hand in hand, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, uh, she does that, and it seems like this is her uh, essentially finding her, her purpose, finding her mission. Because uh, the initial voiceover when she's walking to Amanda's house, I think she's 
lamenting the idea of going into like in-home care as a nurse where she's like i thought i was meant for more than this my you know my buddy god like i i thought you had a bigger plan for me so she's kind of like butthurt about it a little bit um but now that she has had this talk with amanda who opened the door just ever so slightly for her just enough yeah for and her religiosity she's like oh i have this lady who is in dire need of saving so now i have now i found my purpose and she gets right to work and she starts dumping liquor bottles and kind of trying to clean up the house and it's like Amanda yeah. doesn't strike me as the kind of lady that likes to see your booze go down the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think you can, uh, she might want to convert a little bit, but that doesn't mean she's cutting out the booze. I think that was pretty presumptuous there, Maud. Very, extraordinarily, in fact. Hey, that shit ain't cheap. Yeah. But um, we do get to see that, like, it's only, like, a, a couple of scenes here where Maud's cleaning up the house and, like, trying to clean, like, literally, like, clean up the house. Um but she's kind of feeling herself a little bit like she's yeah. found her groove and she's like in the middle of doing dishes. And again, she's having a grand old time like her. her she's making that face. And this is where the CGI assisted uh, O face occurs. Yeah. And this looks painful, honestly. It's like, ah, no mouth too wide. <laughs> yeah. But um, she's interrupted, though, uh, by the arrival of uh, is this a, a lady of the night, Carol? Carol. I don't know if she's a lady of the night. Uh, this is an interesting character. Uh, Carol. She's a young, uh, young woman. Um, she's dressed pretty hip. Uh, you can kind of stereotypically of somebody uh, who's. She, I think she's. Uh, it's implied that she's a lesbian, um, and you can kind of get that from her from her outfit. I, I, I'm just trying to be careful. Uh, not necessarily, but it's implied uh that's what she is but yeah it's it's unclear as to what her friendship is with uh with amanda and they kind of she kind of lets herself in basically she's like is amanda in here just kind of goes into the room and uh throughout the evening Maud's just kind of like hovering over the door like a creep and you can kind of piece together what's happening in there uh yeah yeah it doesn't take a genius but yeah yeah, carol is very uh insistent on coming into the home even though Maud. It keeps keeps saying like hey it's too late you can't be here like because in in mod's mind she's doing the right thing like she's putting amanda's health and holiness first i guess yeah. and uh she doesn't want carol in the house but carol you know like kind of helps herself in doesn't really work out in mod's favor um but yeah carol spends the the night and in the morning mod sees that oh carol is leaving with lots of cash yeah. like not just a little bit of cash lots of money so um that's where theory is maybe she's prostitute who knows um, maybe it's just that kind of relationship yeah. um clearly amanda's doing okay financially but um in the morning though after carol's left uh we have an interesting exchange between our two principal leading ladies here mm-hmm. where it's uh, maude and amanda sitting down for breakfast and uh Maud says a prayer and amanda kind of joins her and then things get a little weird <laughs> where uh, Maud uh, feels the touch of God and uh, starts having a good time on the couch and Amanda kind of follows suit. Yeah. Uh, so we have this like kind of like a bonding moment between these two ladies here. Um, My, I was going to ask what your, what your take was on this because uh, one thing that Maud does is that I'm familiar with this, like having people pray for you right in front of you. And I've seen it done like 
for other people as well. And it can be very direct to exactly what's happening in your life. And to somebody who's on like, who's not used to this, it can come off as passive aggressive or even kind of presumptuous about like, what, like, what do you think I need help with? And she kind of, she says like, Amanda needs help with the dark forces that are in her head. And I'm like, well, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Like, and she doesn't, I don't think Amanda really takes it like that, but I could see how she could. Um, but yeah, this, I, this is a really interesting scene because she's, I'm like, is she messing with her and acting like she feels it? Or is she allowing herself this moment of like, uh, relief of like, maybe there is something on the other side and she's just kind of embracing it for a moment. I, I wasn't sure how to read this. Yeah, my my gut told me it was uh, acting, like mm. she was just playing along. Um, by the time we get to the end of the film, it's a, uh, it's explained that it wasn't entirely genuine. However, you could spin it that it was. Her explanation is that she was bored. Yeah, that Amanda, it's it's boring dying. Yeah, uh, especially when it takes a long time for it to finally happen. Um, so phrased that way, you could spin it where yeah maybe she just went along with it and she actually did feel something from it um but my gut in the moment before i got to that point where it's explained um that it was false to some degree uh i i just figured she was fucking with her yeah i mean (laughs) she's also like she's also kind of doing what she's doing and you can see she's like looking at her to see how she's like amanda's looking at Maud as she's like laying back and kind of observing her so yeah I, i just wasn't entirely sure because she does a good job of acting like it though Oh yeah, no. It part it's it's very easy to suggest that she felt something in that moment, even if, even if she didn't feel like a religious experience, like just giving in to the energy in the room or something. Maybe she did get something from it. Well, I, I wanted to also kind of just mention the the idea, like it's it's uh, how would you say it's exaggerated uh, the way Maud is experiencing God. I don't really think that this is a common way people experience God. Uh, but I think, I think it's supposed to be a, a kind of relief for somebody who's a specific, like who's very disturbed. Like maybe this is like really like such a great feeling that this is how, like how it kind of feels for her. Um, yeah, I just kind of read it as that. So I don't think she's actually feeling it like that. I think it's more internal. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I call it as I seize it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But um, one one thing I do think is important to throw out there, and, and I guess we'll get into this improper later, but is that you, the viewer, try to keep in mind what the first scene of this movie was. Yes. And and where we and where we progress from there, because remember this this person is the same person who was stuck in a hospital room with a grisly dead body that they more than likely based on their hands being covered in blood and their face being covered in blood was somehow involved in that person's ultimate fate. So just keep that in the back of your mind as you're watching the film. I I think it enhances it quite a bit, but um, we proceed to the evening and this is where we get further evidence of a mod's self harm in the form of some slashes. Like she has a lot of scars Mm -hmm. on her stomach, like around her navel um a lot of a lot of cutting has been going on um but not right now right now she's laying in bed and she looks pretty darn proud of herself yeah um and in in the morning uh by the way we also get some other lovely shots of just the two ladies like hanging out together and trying on wigs and having a good time like being friendly with each other and in the morning uh maude is given a book 
and mm-hmm. I, I believe this is a, a William Blake art book. Yeah. And I, uh, did you see the Red Dragon? You, yeah. Have you seen Red Dragon? Because uh, the, like I was actually kind of surprised they they held on the Red Dragon because yeah. they flipped through many pages of this large book. But I was like, are they are they gonna show the red dragon? Yeah, like, they are they so bold? And yes, they were so bold as to yeah. show the red dragon. Do you see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> I love it. Um, also a Welsh actor. Uh, so yeah, Maud. Uh, she's looking at her book, and Carol's back. Carol. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's over there. Uh, you can tell that you know they're back to business. She's grabbing some champagne, and Carol just kind of like kind of teasing her a little bit uh just not nothing bad just kind of you know poking at her a little bit and she breaks she breaks a glass and you know mod you know jumps up to go clean it up but uh basically carol stays the night again yeah and uh mod is none too happy about it. you can tell that carol puts her on edge yeah like, there's just something about her that puts her off it's never explicitly stated what that might be but they don't like each other yeah <laughs> Um, but around this time, it's kind of interesting because she's Maud is sitting in the kitchen alone, just like snacking and flipping through this book. And she does like read the, the inside cover of it. And it says like, William Blake was known for his rejection of, of, of like, like standardized religious practices. And she's like, huh? Yeah. And I thought that it was kind of a weird moment in the movie. Cause like, I think that's literally her reaction. It's just like, a, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hmm. Something interesting but yeah this is where she does some more uh, peeping uh, she does some more creeping on uh, amanda and carol and we don't see anything like super explicitly sexual it's more just the two ladies kind of like laying together and having a good time and yeah it seems like amanda really appreciates the companionship and she uh, it needs to be mentioned that like both with her interactions with the with the fella from earlier and carol she's wearing a, a wig whereas she doesn't do that uh, for every for every pairing that she has in the film, like at the party scene in particular, she's not wearing a wig. She just has like a a head a head wrap essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's like a a way to instill confidence or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Never I've never been there myself, but it's just an observation. But yeah, the uh, then we get the next morning, which is uncomfortable. Uh, which I well, you knew was coming. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Carol's on her way out and Maud stops her and brings her into the kitchen and basically Maud tells Carol like hey you can't be coming up here like this anymore and she's like uh, excuse me like won't you mind your own business it's like I'm being nice like I'm just being polite like you can't come up here anymore I know she's giving you money and like dude this is really like it's really uncomfortable but Maud's thing is just like listen it this is about life and death like this is a spiritual thing like she's about to go into a different place and carol kind of accepts it but i was kind of shocked at how well she kind of accepts it there i'm like huh that could be the end of that spoiler alert it's not (laughs) no no of course not but this exchange is really it's really interesting um because this doesn't feel like something you'd see in a horror movie this feels like like a a drama moment that's very effective and it's mostly framed in in tight close-ups for both women and Maud has this curious energy about her where she she's like simultaneously mousy but sometimes she does like kind of get forceful yeah when she does because she's so outwardly like petite and like unassuming when she does get forceful it's like oh yeah she woke up 
Like there's something in there. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting because when we reach the conclusion of this discussion, basically everything that Maud is saying does make some sense. It's a mm-hmm. little over the top in that she's saying like like this is this is all about Amanda is dying and we need we need to respect that and she needs all of her strength to to stand up to the challenges that wait ahead and you having this phony affection and or love like she's assuming that there's no actual love or affection between the two it's purely financial just based on her seeing her have money in her hands when she left the house it's quite the assumption that's quite the leap in logic but you know (laughs) nobody said Maude was a saint other than the title of the film yeah Um, but um there's this fun little beat though where um when Maude does get the upper hand in the conversation she's like oh <laughs> i didn't expect that to happen so soon it's <laughs> just like oh you're like carol actually like motions to head to the door and and Maud's like what are you doing and she's like i'm leaving i'm she's leaving like, oh well go ahead then <laughs> we'll like, go then <laughs> i'm gone good we'll go then. <laughs> um but yeah she basically figured out a way at least for now anyway kyle mentioned that carol does come back but for now carol is not going to be coming back to the house anytime soon and we see Maud like drawing crosses on all the walls in the house with water mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm not sure of this being a, a standard Catholic practice I'm, I wouldn't be surprised but it's not something, <laughs> not something I've ever done for myself but water crosses sh- yeah it, it's yeah that, that adds up that adds up <laughs> um, but one of the coolest shots in the movie happens around here where uh, it's a Maud feeling very self-satisfied and walking on the beach in, in the nighttime. Mm-hmm. And because we have that lit up Ferris wheel and the, the boardwalk, it's just, it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. It's about 31 minutes and 30 seconds into the film, if you want to look it up, Kyle. Uh, it's, it's a really handsome shot. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like if you're setting up a shot a few hundred feet from there, it's like, could we just like take a few hours and like move the camera over there please <laughs> like like please like i know it i know it wasn't on the shot list for today but my god man it's it's worth the effort um but around here is where we get uh i mean we're getting into the point of the movie where for fuck's sake something better happen yeah. <laughs> um, so she's she's taking a walk by herself and we hear a, a woman calling out to her uh katie yeah and Maud's face immediately tells us that whoever that is she doesn't want anything to do with them and also Maud's name is not katie yeah <laughs> and then this person comes up behind them and it's a i love that her name is joy joy nurse joy it's it's nurse joy <laughs> like like if you're if you're born named joy like it's only it's kind of perfect you end up being a nurse and but. she she's very upbeat and pleasant uh by the way morthfid does not have two different colored eyes she has just blue eyes uh, okay, so, so that is... was a conscious decision on the part of the director. Yeah, uh, maybe like I could see it being. I don't. I've never met anybody in person who has two different colored eyes, but I feel like if you're talking to somebody, you can't really focus on what they're saying. You're just kind of focusing on the like how bizarre it is they have two different colored eyes. So maybe just it could make somebody socially awkward, possibly like that could contribute to it as well. Well, we'll we'll get we'll touch on that in a second, yeah. but like. At the end of the day, it's a nice ornament that that makes for an unsettling character. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this this is a person that that is has some sort of imbalance or some some unease mm. to them. Oh, I like uh, that better. Yeah, I like that. 
It, it's just a it's a nice prop basically yeah, it doesn't really right. matter what it means but it's one of those things that it, it jumps out at you um yeah but this, this 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 dialogue exchange is quite awkward um, it's unsettling because <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh joy is like uh so what are you doing now she's like oh i'm caretaking she's like for real like they let you do you? that <laughs> you katie <laughs> yeah yeah uh all all of Joy's uh, responses are are kind of delivered in that fashion where it's like, oh, healthcare, you still, yeah, <laughs> like, kind of. A, and, it's alarming for us as the viewer. It's like, uh, is she supposed to be in that house? Like, is she qualified to be doing this? Is this okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she does have like a insignia on her scrubs, like on her nurse's uniform. So it's like, okay, she hopefully hopefully she actually does work for an agency yeah. <laughs> like hopefully she didn't just show up to some sick lady's house and start doing stuff <laughs> but uh yeah joy seems like a bubbly kind person mm-hmm. uh has a totally different vibe from mod so when it's mentioned later that like mod was under the assumption joy didn't like her very much it's i mean yeah that math doesn't really add up add up these people don't seem like they would ever be friends um, but you can tell that Joy's like the type of person who I guess cares enough yeah. to say hello and see how you're doing. And again, keep that first scene in the back of your mind. Something obviously traumatic happened uh, involving Maud and healthcare. Uh, so presumably, uh, Joy comes from the same hospital. In fact, I think she explicitly states that I think it's like Afra, like St. Afra, something like that, that it was a building they used to work at. Um, but Joy does give her her phone number. Nothing is really gleaned from this conversation other than Joy is surprised that Maud is still a practicing clinician. Yeah. And uh, some, for some reason, Maud is also named Katie. Um, th- that's never really resolved in the film, but it is interesting that, mm-hmm. that she would change her name. Like she, I guess she had a rebirth of some sort, but she did it on the sly without really telling anyone. Um, but yeah, we we cut back to to Maud taking care of Amanda, and immediately there's like some tension, and it's delivered very uh, subtly, where Amanda's playing solitaire, mm-hmm. and uh, she cheats, and Maud being Maud, Maud's kind of a tool. Yeah, like, square. Like, yeah, she's yeah she's she's polite, but she's also a tool. Um, <laughs> she, she calls her out on it. She's like, it's much more fun if you don't cheat. And it's like, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Last I checked, this is my house. Yeah. <laughs> but um amanda gets a call from uh carol and there's a really cool scene here uh the tea kettle uh, mm-hmm. do you remember this one kyle i don't remember the tea kettle scene. I, I i'll be honest with you, my second rewatch i was hitting with the plot points i was kind of like going through i'm like okay this is what happens next and trying to remember what what happened there so i don't remember the tea kettle specifically it's pretty great um this is some cool filmmaking shit where uh basically uh amanda gets a phone call and it's carol and she's super excited because she's probably been bored playing solitaire with her nurse all day. <laughs> not exactly a thrilling day. Yeah, Maud is um, not a fun person. Yeah, Maud is told to go make some tea. Uh, so she heads into the kitchen, and we can hear Amanda talking on the phone, and it's not a super happy conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, Maud is, like, gripping the, uh, I think it's like the oven handle. Like, she's, mm-hmm. like, gripping it real tight and we we have these tight shots of the tea kettle whistling and it's just this like it's not overbearing but like the tension like you can tell that like 
some shit's going down right now. Um, basically, what comes of it is like you can. It's shot in such a way and edited in such a way that you can tell that Maud is listening in on the conversation, and kind of pleading for a certain result. Mm-hmm. Like she knows, she knows that's Carol on the phone. She went to great lengths to make sure Carol doesn't come back, so she's probably praying that Carol, Carol doesn't come back. And sure enough, uh, Amanda is dejected, so we we learn that Carol's not coming over. I guess she was. Just calling to say, hi, I'm not coming over today. <laughs> uh, so that's a shitty phone call for Amanda to get. And Amanda wants to go to bed right after that. But there was un- one other uh, recurring visual motif that happens in this film many times that uh, we we skipped over it, but uh, now's a good time as any to get to it. Whirlpools. Mm. Drains. This is something that happens many, many times in the film. And... Again, I haven't like pondered on this film super hard, so at the moment I don't really have a good explanation for what that could symbolize, but earlier in the film, uh, Maude got a nosebleed, and I think it was around the time Carol first came over, mm-hmm. and we have a shot, a dedicated shot of her, her blood from her nose circling down the drain. And then similarly, um, around this time when uh, Carol calls, uh, we have soap bubbles spiraling down the drain. And over and over and over and again, up until the last shot of the film, essentially, yeah. uh, we have we have these whirlpools, these these spirals, these descending torrents. Um, I don't have an explanation as to what that might mean right now, but it, it's such an obvious recurring element in the film that uh, maybe we should both be thinking about that as we're talking. <laughs> descending into madness. I mean, that's the really, really obvious one. Like, mm-hmm. the super on-the-fucking-nose one. That's like a, a Mike Tyson fucking right cross to the fucking yeah. nose. Like, on the nose. But um, maybe it is that simple. It's it super be. explicit. Like, it's not hidden from the viewer. Um, but, yeah, it seems like... Uh, it seems like when Maud encounters frustrations in her uh, in her missions. Or in her... I don't know. She, she has... She has like some sort of guiding element in her psyche like she she feels driven to accomplish something in particular in regards to amanda it seems like whenever she hits a speed bump uh, she either has some sort of vision or she has to hurt herself yeah uh, so so this time uh, i actually sent kyle a a simpsons clip yeah uh, <laughs> just because uh, i'll uh I'm an immature child, so I'm watching this, you know, classy A24 horror film, and immediately I think of a fucking Simpsons reference, and that would be, of course, touch the stove! <laughs> There's actually a Mark Maron bit that I was thinking of at the end of the film. I, I was going to send you while you're eating your uh, while you're eating your dinner, but I'll, I'll send it to you after the podcast, because when at the end I'm just like, oh, that's a totally Mark Maron joke. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't pay... I. Aside from the obvious, I'm not sure what the drains could mean. Well, maybe well, we'll come across an answer as we go. But possibly. for now, uh, you, the listener, maybe you can come up with an idea. Yeah. But yeah, Maud uh, burns the back of her hand on the very... It seems antiquated, but it also seems really fancy. So maybe I'm just poor or something. <laughs> it seems like it was very fancy... Uh, a long time ago like, okay because yeah. i mentioned this was the same stove and fa- uh, similar stove and phantom thread because i'm like how does this stove work i don't understand it it also seems very rustic as well yeah it's so maybe, very maybe rustic. it's maybe it's like an maybe it's both antiquated and super expensive or something i don't yeah. know but it's kind of cool looking but it's also confounding yeah how the fuck do you use that how does like, this it, thing work it, 
it looks like a giant waffle iron, honestly, yeah, but, it does. but without the waffle pattern. Or it looks like it should be made to make, like, mini pizzas or something. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but clearly it's not. But, but yeah, she burns herself on the stove. Um, Youch. Uh, actually, it's... She, like, barely touches it, but goddamn, she must have really fucked herself up. Either that or she is picking at that thing. Like She's crazy. picking at it. Yeah, we see her pick at it once, but I think it's implied that she is just continually tearing away at it because... Uh, her hand is never not bandaged from here on out. Well, that never heals. Well, I think that uh, that could speak to mental illness as well. You have some kind of trauma that if you don't care for it and you keep picking at it, it's never going to heal. Well, that calls back to one of the like half dozen or so ideas we had about the roach, where it's like it's that gnawing thing that's yeah. always there, and it's like this same, may as may as well be picking at a scab, you know, gnawing teething rat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure about that part of that performance, honestly. Yeah, that it's seemed a little like, goofy. That seemed like Jack taking it for a walk. Like, he was. Maybe he a was, little too much. He was actually taking it for a walk in that, for sure. He That whole movie is him taking it for a walk. He pulls out a dildo, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, my, my brother actually always felt that way about that movie. That it's like, it's such a awesome movie. And mm-hmm. it's like, from an editing standpoint especially, it's so well put together. But there's... I love Jack Nicholson, but like, he's the weakest part of it in some in some ways Nah, see i i disagree i think that it's goofy but he it's goofy at times where he's like kind of taking it for a walk and it's kind of off the wall but he brings it back in like he can like he can ground you in reality like he's being kind of goofy at the table then he has a human hand or uh you know there's choice words that he uses throughout there but yeah it's an it's an interesting performance but it's 60 40 it's like 60 percent jack nicholson 40 percent the character yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Leave it at that. But excellent, movie, Alec Baldwin. Though. Excellent, Alec Baldwin. Oh, oh, I, I love yeah. his uh, his undercranked punch. Oh, like, that whole that cause, whole because that because that, that was kind of like husky Alec Baldwin. So that was fat alcoholic. Un- yeah, yeah, he's trying to uncork a punch, but I guess he did it like sloppily. So they actually had to speed up the footage to make it look impactful, and it looks so bad. That is one of my favorite meltdowns in cinema history is him just screaming at that. You stupid motherfucker. <laughs> no, he, he and Marky Mark have all, all the best lines. I love that movie. movie. It's great. Yeah. Um, we all love that movie, yeah. Kyle. We but, um, next, next we have a birthday party though. Oh God, the birthday party. This was the most Darren Aronofsky feeling part because when this, this conversation that Amanda has with uh, Carol I kind of took it as I think perhaps Amanda or Carol might have told her why. And Amanda's just kind of holding that in the deck right now. Uh, because at this, I mean, at this scene, we do find out that Carol does, ha- has told her. But Carol might have waited till they got to the party. But I kind of took it as maybe Amanda's holding on to it. Yeah, I, I, I believe that Carol had told her before. Yeah, like this wasn't revealed at the party. This is something that Amanda was sitting on and just felt like being super cunty and yeah. you know like doing it at a crowded party that's already kind of disturbing and unsettling for poor Maud. Yeah, and you're angry. Quote poor Maud. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're angry and bitter about dying. Like, hey, why not? This girl's been pissed. What, me do, off I anyway. yeah, what <laughs> do I got to lose? Yeah, I, I would yeah, be seriously. I would be fucking pissed as well. I I don't think that Amanda. I, it is shitty that she does this to her, but hey, I'm like, you kind of have this coming, Maude. Like, I don't feel that bad for you. 
Yeah, uh, this whole party sequence is like really brilliantly composed. Mm-hmm. Like everything about it is very well considered uh, from an audiovisual editing standpoint, performance. Like it, it's a really good scene. Um, it has like an amber quality to the lighting that yeah. feels radically different from every other scene we've had in this house. Like Kyle said, a lot of the early goings especially have a very naturalistic look to it, a very inviting look to it to some degree. There's something sinister about Amanda's look, like how they've made the actress look, and the way she's holding court at this party, it feels evil, like the way they have it positioned. Yeah, no, it's it's like a bunch of buzzing demonic ser- servants like kind of yeah. cuz she looks like queenly or yeah, something she's, <laughs> like, like she's in the middle of the room and she's not really saying much but you can tell that everybody is kind of in awe, like not in awe but like she's the most respected one in the middle of the room yeah yeah she's she's doing a Thulsa doom impression yeah i, I bet you if she asked one of these ladies to take a jump off of a cliff Come to she me, could my totally child. do it Come. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is power that is power <laughs> oh, i can't wait steel is strong but flesh is stronger stronger uh i know we'll, we'll get not. there someday <laughs> oh yeah by the time we get to the end of that one uh, not sure about that buddy no um yeah but yeah uh, i i love when they bring out the cake and even in the process of lighting the candles like there's a little bit of a power play going on here we're like mod is trying kind of doing things in her at her own pace in her own way and just this lady with this aggressive fucking suit just like swoops in next to her and it's just like let me do it yeah. <laughs> she does it better and faster and she's like mod you carry the plates i get to carry the, i get to carry the the cake that i believe mod purchased from town like she had to bring all the supplies and she had to like cut all the hors d'oeuvres and stuff so mod put a lot of work well, and effort into putting this thing together mod's not a servant she's a caretaker like she's exactly. yeah so now but she's just being relegated to servant yeah and she's kind of dressed down really bad here and we actually have kind of a callback to that that uh t sequence with the phone call with carol mm. where in that sequence mod was kind of in the other room eavesdropping and hoping and praying for a certain outcome uh in this case she's just kind of like laying out the dishes and amanda starts yapping on and on about like oh uh maude doesn't like carol and carol and maude is a bigot and maude is trying to save my soul and she's saying all of this knowing full well that maude is maude can hear it like she's within earshot and she's saying it in such a way that uh at one point again the sinister quality of amanda's performance really comes to shine here where she actually like makes explicit eye contact with Maud as she's still talking to her friends i had a family member that this is how they would scold me growing up uh yeah dude it's uncomfortable for you it's uncomfortable for everybody else in the room so don't do it (laughs) it's not a good way yeah 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 it's not good it's really uncomfortable and the the lensing of the scene is where the the aronofsky element is very on display here where it kind of reminds me of some of those like big rambunctious party sequences quote party scenes in mother yeah oh where my it's gosh. like it's it's claustrophobic yeah like like there's a lot of a lot of shots of mod are framed in such a way where it only she is in focus but there's bodies everywhere yeah so it feels like she's just like it's like jennifer being... Connolly in the labyrinth oh you haven't seen that have you <laughs> i have not oh gosh it. yeah yeah, dance magic dance hey <laughs> take it easy hey i didn't say that as a bad thing that's just like the one fucking thing i know from that movie my man was going for it 
He was hitting the notes in that song, all right? Uh, David Bowie and his uh, magic gray package awakened many, a, many a sexual awakening for many a person. Full <laughs> disclosure on that movie. Speaking of Aronofsky, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, full disclosure on that movie. It, uh, The puppets and the funness of it, it's creepy. It holds up in that regard. However, there's a very big problematic thread in that film. Uh, but we'll get to that movie eventually because I, I do want to cover that one. I want to see the dance magic dance. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I mean, it's a Jim Henson production, man. It I, is I have, the Jim I actually Henson haven't, production. I haven't seen The Dark Crystal either. Uh, um, so. I tried watching it. I, I was stoned and I couldn't even get through it. It's, it's pretty tough, yeah. Well, I'd still like to see it because, I mean, there is that golden era of Jim Henson's workshop where <clears throat> they were cranking out feature films and all sorts of stuff that, like, really good, solid work. I mean, even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie kind of falls under that umbrella. I mean, it's not a Jim Hun- Henson production, but he brought those fucking characters to life and then some. I think The Labyrinth is possibly his best as far as, like, a full production. It, it really is worth watching. Okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Uh-huh. But, uh, anyway, Maude is not having a good time at the party, and no. she keeps trying to escape, and she keeps bumping into people. Like, she just has bodies kind of closing in on her, and it makes for this, like, really oppressive atmosphere. And things come to a head, and she actually gives Amanda a slap in the face that draws blood. Yeah, she she said, Amanda says something, like, about her god. Like, she's like, like, something to set her off basically and yeah yeah she she points out that like she feels that maud is living like an ascetic lifestyle like she like she's kind of closing herself off from the joys of living and she's like like what you what you think of as leading like a, a good holy clean life i think of as boring essentially and yeah and i think amanda's like i think she's angry at her but I think she's also kind of understanding. Like, I think she knew where Maude was coming from, but she's kind of upset by that. But she even says, she's like, listen, I'm just teasing you a little bit. I just want you to loosen up. And, like, Amanda's not really that bad of a person. Uh, my, Maude did have this coming, though. <laughs> it, she absolutely did have this coming. But um, also during the scene, though, preceding the slap, um, there's another detail that we overlooked, and that is uh, stomach pain. Um Maud has bouts of stomach pains throughout the movie in several instances. She actually, I think, one of her opening remarks during the during the first scene we have with her when she's walking to Amanda's house, she mentions that she has a feeling of unease. She feels like she's not in, she's not living according to the plan that's been laid out for her, and she actually like kind of gets snippy with God about like you. I don't know why you're making my stomach hurt, but it's a thing. I'll deal with it. I- and it, it comes up several times in the film where she has stomach pains. I think it's probably stress, like ulcers. I think she probably has ulcers. Thank you for using that word, Kyle, because um, I think repression is a big part of Maud's story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I keep emphasizing keep that first scene of the film in the back of your mind, because, again, this is somebody who endured something really traumatic. Uh, however, at no point in the film thus far, about halfway through, more than halfway through, in fact, have we seen them address it in any fashion, really. No. Um, and it seems like there's a lot stuffed down. And yeah, uh, she is fired, <laughs> as one would be. Immediately, yes. <laughs> for, for slapping a dying cancer patient. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, 
I Dude, you couldn't she... get fired quicker. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> way to get fired quicker. I love that. I, I don't know who says it because they're not on screen when they say it, but Amanda's friends like pull Maude away from her, and like, you can actually hear a man's voice say, "Okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're out of here." Yeah, like immediately. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, that's enough. Like, <laughs> I I saw. I feel bad because I dared him to do it. I feel so bad because I was a kid, but I dared my cousin to pull off his grandmother's wig at her like 60th or 70th <laughs> birthday party and i never in my life would have thought he would actually do it the motherfucker did it and oh, no. oh my mom like i didn't see him the rest of the day <laughs> i don't know what happened to him. i thought he might have died but i could not believe he did and i was horrified and I think that is about the same level as this. Like, seeing someone with cancer get slapped. Like, oh my gosh. I was about to say, next stop, military school with Sean Astin or whatever. No <laughs> I feel so bad for my my cousin. I I, I think the, the spanking that he got that day was pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, my mom, Alternate was, ending. <laughs> my mom was pissed. <laughs> alternate ending to that oh. story as long story short he is no more <laughs> uh, he's funny as hell i miss him i mean i'm sure he is if he if he has the audacity to run and grab gam gam's wig from them <laughs> he, he and nick uh he and my brother are, are in the same grade so they graduated the same day so when he went up to because he went to the same school uh, when he went up to shake the principal's hand, he went low like he was going to hit him in the nuts with it. It just <laughs> didn't stop. It was really funny. Oh, man. He's a hoot. Uh, so, yeah, Ma just fired. Yes. And uh, I really like the scene when she uh, returns to her, her tiny apartment. Uh, her tiny apartment that has a kitchen, a bed, and a nightstand, or, or like a dresser with a bunch of religious trinkets on it. That's yes. it. Um. She comes home, and one of the first things she does is, uh, like, wipes off her dresser, and there's this layer of dust on top of it. Mm. And she doesn't, like, properly clean it. She just, like, wipes her hand across it. But it tells you that, oh, she's been away for a bit, for a minute. Um, and also the way she so callously does that, it shows, like, oh, it needs to be cleaned. But, oh, I guess we're not cleaning today. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, we get some more vo- voiceover pointing out that she's enduring some really serious stomach pains. She's trying all manner of medi- medicines for it. It's not working out. And, yeah, we just get to see her be alone and despondent in her home. Uh, she's totally lost, and she's she's in, like, a no-pants kind of mood. Yeah. Like, you know, if if you're living alone in an apartment, that's that's an everyday thing, but yeah. not Maud. Like, yeah. Maud... Maud wears pants generally. I, I'm living alone right now. I'm making myself put on pants during the day because <laughs> I'm working. It's a know. struggle. It's, it's a, struggle. a struggle. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's a struggle. I, I mean, this I poor know. girl doesn't have a book. She doesn't have a TV. Nothing. Like she has nothing. It is just this tiny little apartment with nothing but her thoughts, which cannot be good. Um, this is yeah. She, she's not doing well here. Like some of the cinematography here like we get some shots of her close up and she just looks disheveled uh we get like the upside down like almost like her world's turned upside down now like she thought that this was going to be her way like this was going to be something good for her and now it's really really bad yeah maybe it's just me kyle but like a combination of uh just the the lighting and the to quote joss whedon texture of the film and you know the the european locales um 
this this sequence in particular like when she's looking really bummed out on the beach uh with the crashing waves and stuff it made me think of under the skin Mm, Um, and and some of the trippy camera angles as well like you said upside down shots and stuff it made me think of that one um i'm glad you made me watch that one by the way because i totally would not have watched that on my own but it ended up being a, a a fun watch and a good episode it stays with you too that that beach scene is oof yeah Horrific. Especially, especially if you like da- dags. Dags. <laughs> dags. Yeah. dags. Yeah, if you like dags. Excellent um, movie. Um, I've, actually, the, the end scene just popped into my head uh, yesterday. I don't know why I was thinking of it. Um, some guy that reminded me of that guy at the end. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have the uh, birthday smackdown. Uh, mod kind of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> the bug is back. The, the bug, the is, bug back. is back. The bug is back. When she gets back to her apartment, yeah. Um, now we see the, uh, but we see, uh, what appears to be Amanda with another caregiver. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Maude goes out to this, like, really, it's a really shitty day out. Um, but the waves are crashing on the shoreline and, uh, she sees Maude, like all bundled up and in a wheelchair, uh, being rolled around town by some other nurse. So I don't know if there's a feeling of jealousy or a sense of failure that Maude is feeling here, but all of her facial expressions and and some of those upside down camera shots suggest that Maude is not in a good place psychologically. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, also, she has not washed her hair in about three weeks. Yeah. Give or take. Uh, it's 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 a little grody. Like, yeah. You might want you might want to, like, Whatever, like you, you take care of you. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to do your own hair, but you know, just do maybe try, maybe try just a little. <laughs> it generally helps. Um, but yeah, uh, she also. This is where we get to see her uh, picking at her burn. Yeah. Um, and we do see that her stomach is still cut up. I don't think that she cut herself anymore, but it's just a healthy reminder to you, the viewer, that oh, Maud has a tendency to hurt herself, uh, seemingly at will. Um, and then we get a really, really, really fascinating scene, and it's a very long one, and yeah. I think that's by design because this is this is kind of the movie taking us to one of its darkest one of its darkest points, yes. <laughs> like fittingly enough towards the middle of the film. So this is Maud uh, putting on a dress like a that, that you wouldn't picture Maud wearing, um, and going out to socialize. Like yeah. going out to the pub, and Kyle, do you do you want to like point out some of the highlights of this? Yes, this is so uncomfortable. So, <laughs> uh, it it really is. I feel so bad for her. Uh, she grabs herself a beer, which this character should not be drinking alcohol. That's the last thing I would think that she would need uh, is is alcohol. Uh, she just kind of posts up uh, at a table, just kind of. Uh, waiting for conversation, waiting for somebody to maybe come by and talk to her, you know, somebody will approach her. And she kind of does like a, like looking at a cute guy across the room, like just trying to get his attention. And I, I, I kind of skipped through this portion. Obviously I've seen it one time. I don't have to watch it twice, Trevor. Uh, <laughs> um, but I forget what goes wrong here. Do, 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 oh, she gives him an over the pants handy. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was over or under. I don't know. I don't know the details of such such mechanics, but um, she gives the guy a handy after just like staring into his soul, and he takes that to mean like, oh, maybe she's interested. And hard cut to them just like 
in front of the bathroom, not even in the bathroom, just yeah. in front of the bathroom door. A, a dry, <laughs> chafing hand job in a bar from a person you just met. Classic. Uh, oh yeah, and the lighting—the lighting is really bright. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no shadows. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is this is really ugly. But she, she—I think she whispers to him like, "Wait or don't finish," and then he apologizes. So that tells you what happened there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny because she's like very casually just like, "Wait, don't," and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> And then she very quickly just like, oh, I, I totally, I hate to say it. I don't mean to be mean, but I disapprove of Maude's hygiene. <laughs> yeah. The hair, no hand washing. Nope. She takes a rag and then she stomps off. I'm like, no, ma'am, you need to go in that bathroom, oh, run wa- the yeah. sink. <laughs> Hot water, soap, 20 seconds. <laughs> yes. You need to do the whole thing. <laughs> Like, you are a medical professional. Yeah. You should know better. But no, she just like wipes her fucking hand on a rag nearby and, and stomps off back to the, the center of the pub. And, this and dude... he's just like, he's just like, I don't know where it went, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's like a, there's something about marriage yeah. situation. <laughs> is it on my ear? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know where it is. I got to find it before I head back. Actually, that was my, that was my theory as to why he left so suddenly. Oh. He, he couldn't find it. <laughs> I <He> was like, <laughs> I think it was an over the pants handy, which means it went in his boxers or his. Which un- means he needs to get home right the fuck now. Or <laughs> yeah, he that's why he leaves promptly. Or it just you know got somewhere else you know in the eth like it just hopped over her shoulder or something and uh, <laughs> and he's just like dude we got to get the fuck out of here that weird girl just gave me a hand job we gotta we gotta go. No, he leaves in a hurry immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's either in his pants or somewhere. It's either in or on his pants. That's my theory. Yeah. yeah. Either way, he has. He's got to go now. Yeah, I got. So to like, go. he got to go. <laughs> but she goes back to her table, and <laughs> she sits down and starts drinking another beer. And he just like zips past her, and we don't even see his head in the frame. It's just like his hip, like checking her shoulder. And he like, I think he touches her, and he's like, "See ya." Yeah. <laughs> 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 but. It gets worse. Yeah, it gets worse. It Uh, gets worse. I think, does she do some shots here, or is she eavesdropping? Which one? (sighs) I think she does some shots by herself first at the bar. uh, Grabs herself another beer, and then she sits back down. And this is uncomfortable, because there's like a group of like four or five people sitting next to her. And she's just kind of like leaning in closer to what they're hearing, and like trying to laugh along with what they're saying i'm like oh god that's uncomfortable that's uncomfortable that's uncomfortable because even we the viewer on the audio track we can't tell what they're talking about and they're all laughing they're all they all know each other they're having a good time and then there's just this random gal poking her head in and laughing at inopportune times like just pretending that she's involved and it's it's so uncomfortable on so many levels like one because you know I'd imagine a lot of us have been in exactly this type of situation. I've never made that attempt. No. Uh, I've never been that brazen to actually do what she did, but I've most certainly been close to interactions that I wanted to be a part of and felt bad about not being a participant in. I mean, in my in my, you know, drinking heydays, I've definitely had stragglers come back to the house parties. You make friends with new people at the bar, house parties. It just happens, but it happens organically. <laughs> it just organically. Nat- naturally. 
yeah you you can't force that yeah and uh, she really tries and she she makes the cutest of like laughing faces and tries her best to like endear herself to them and just her expression and the no sell that they do to her attempt like yeah. they don't like they give her a look like the, the fuck? who the fuck invited you yeah. <laughs> and she looks super dejected and yeah she like throws back a few shots after this it's we get I would say it's interesting you mentioned under the skin because uh, ScarJo is actually more human in that film interacting with people. And she's a fucking alien. Spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah. Um, by the time we get to the end of this this whirlwind of awkwardness, um, we'll, we'll have to revisit that. Uh, the notion of an alien being more human than somebody who claims to be human. Um, this but, girl is severely mentally ill. Like she very much has problems. That's that's my guess as to what most of the story is about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get to see her have a really awkward, stilted conversation on the on the turlet, um, and the cinematography here is is really fitting. Mm-hmm. It's it's all like amber tone. She's in a crap like a cramped toilet stall. There's if, a lot of really tight tight shots, and it's very wibbly wobbly handheld. I would say, as the viewer, you feel like this drunk crazy like this drunk mentally ill person you feel claustrophobic with them in this moment this is yeah this this scene was also kind of tough and some of the some of the dialogue that's dumped here is really interesting because we don't get to hear the other end of the conversation but she's calling joy yeah um who gave her, oh, her who number else? after that <laughs> Yeah, who else does she know? There's no one else. There's no one else. There's no one else. Um, she calls Joy because she has no one else. And uh, we only get to hear what Maud is saying in this conversation. Um, and this is where she lets loose the fact that she thought that like Joy and all the other nurses at the hospital she used to work at weren't particularly fond of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end of it, she like calls herself stupid and that she should have known better or something. So it's like, I don't even know what the fuck was said here, but I feel like maybe... Maybe it didn't matter what Joey was saying. Like, I think Maud's just drunk to the point that it's like, I don't think this is a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is just a person talking into a phone and hoping they don't puke. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. <laughs> <laughs> but Kyle, after this is where things hit, like a, a, they reach like a fever pitch. So she comes back to the bar. She bellies up to the bar again. And we get all these really tight shots and all the audio is really heightened here. Like every clink, every, every noise in this bar is just like super loud on the audio track. And this happens a lot in the film where mod seems to have like a, a a sensory issue or something. Like the noises around her, like a dissonance almost. Yeah. It happens multiple times where it seems like she gets a sensory overload. Like she, and, and I mean, even the dialogue, like she seems to hear things from across the room pretty easily, but here it's like everything's heightened and we get all every shot is super tight and we keep cutting back to her just looking really uncomfortable and this is where we get the 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 repeat of the whirl whirlpool imagery mm-hmm. so she tries to like leave and she looks down at a bunch of beers and we see like these cgi whirlpools spin up in all of them and there's even like a sound effect accompanying it so again still don't know what that means but she's having some sort of overload or experience right now but then things come to an unexpected conclusion in the form of a a very large man a very large bearded man uh crashing into her yeah and then we do a hard cut after that (laughs) yeah she bumps into him and he's just like i think you owe me a drink which i mean it's a pretty good opening like i'm like 
It's good. I mean, that's actually like, pretty good. Like, she just bumps into you, like, oh, I think you owe me a drink. That, solid. It's not bad. Not, it's bad. not bad. That's pretty good. Take you take. I mean, the I mean, they can they can say no. Yeah. But it's not the worst thing to suggest. I mean, you did just spill the drink. It's <laughs> it, the way he's saying it. Uh, the way he's saying it, it's kind of like sin. Like there's something kind of sinister behind it, but. I, I like if you could do it playfully. Oh, like you just have to buy me a drink, I guess. Like it's a good opening. This piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> this is. I mean, I've seen uncomfortable. I've seen uncomfortable sex scenes in films, but this is by far one of the most uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, she's she's just going to town on this dude, and nobody's enjoying it. Uh, she d- does not want to be there. <laughs> He's trying to like. He's trying to like cop a feel. She's like, get the fuck away. Like, <laughs> she's yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. yeah. He he's trying to participate. He's trying to grab a hold of something, and mm-hmm. she keeps shooing him. Yeah. Um. But the the editing here is really, really effective. Uh, we do some cross cutting. Um. Finally, uh, to that first scene in the film where it, finally some part of Maud is acknowledging whatever it was that happened. Um. And we still don't get every detail spelled out to us but she's mounting this guy and then she keeps in her mind and in the film we we cut to what she was doing before before that opening sequence uh, so we see an elderly woman hooked up to an oxygen mask we see Maud trying to resuscitate her like doing cpr um and then uh we cut to imagery of Maud putting both of her hands on this very large man's chest and uh, doing a John Carpenter's The Thing exactly. uh, to, yeah. <laughs> to to his sternum. Uh, she caves in his sternum and draws blood. Um, I want to say this was a combination of both practical and CGI effects. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the crunch sound and the suddenness of it happening, it's very unexpected, is uh, effective. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that she's, you know, mounting this guy. Like, they're very much having the sex and then that happens like yeah. uh, that's not something you see every day <laughs> that's not where you want that flashback to happen either no no it's like i don't know what's up with your brain chemistry but maybe get that looked at <laughs> it's like, it's, so these things help. do not go together ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um it's it's made even worse by the fact that we get the those traumatic images that apparently she was suppressing or something they're finally cu- bubbling up to the surface um but she like like rolls off of him and it's and at first he's like shh it's okay it's okay but then he has to make it really fucking weird and awful and he he has to get his satisfaction uh she's not really against her against her wishes uh she says no a couple of times she she does say no and then he just kind of she just like all right whatever like she just kind of like shrugs it off like all right whatever dude finish Yeah. yeah and then uh she i think she heads back home and I think this is uh, kind of a crazy sequence here. Um, this is probably one of the craziest sequences. <laughs> because, um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, as she's leaving, uh, he he has a couple of choice lines of dialogue here that I, th- I thought were interesting. And this is what's always fascinating to me about movies of this nature, is that you only get what the movie gives you. And it's up to you to make of it what you will. Uh, so we don't know everything there is to know about Maud. We don't know everything there is to know about what happened to Maud to get her to where she's at now. But um, he mentions as she's leaving, like, I know you. I remember mm-hmm. I forgot you. about that. You, you and all your, your nurse friends used to come out to the bar a lot. You've been gone, though. Um, and the fact that she had that dress on hand 
the fact that she owns a lighter that she clicks compulsively and the fact that like she used to go to that bar with her nurse friends a lot suggests that she was a she was a very different person before we met her possibly yeah um, uh, just so but we're we cl- don't actually know just so we're not like brushing it off like what he did he raped her by the way that was oh that was he's ab- he straight up raped her yeah it's, it's pretty bad well I, i'm like i didn't mean to like beat around the bush i was just trying not to you know spend too much time on it but let's be clear what happened <laughs> just so just so we're you know be, yeah. being clear yes yes that that is called rape that is right um, yeah <laughs> uh but yeah, this this uh, see, I don't think alcohol is good for this uh, for this poor girl. Uh, this is the where she gets sick, uh, which is pretty fucking disgusting. Uh, this is where the auditory and uh, I feel like the uh, visual hallucinations kick in pretty hard here because she there's fireworks going on outside at some point, and I don't know how popular fireworks are in the UK. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if like this was in America around July. I'm like, oh, it's Fourth of July. People are fire- doing fireworks. But I was gonna ask him like, are the fireworks actually going on off? Are going off outside, or is she imagining that? Uh, it's hard to say because some of her, I mean, I guess you'd call them hallucinations, um, are fairly literal. Like some of the things, like they're not as far fetched as they could be. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I can't think of a reason why you would blow up fireworks. Although, we are at a place called Coney Island that yeah. has a Ferris wheel. Yeah, so it's possible. May, maybe, that, that, maybe that's part of why it's set in this location. Yeah. Um, but, oh, by the way, oh, uh, 51 minutes and about 7 seconds in. One of the other more interesting shots in the film. Mm. Uh, it's Take the image right, like set up this way and then turn it all the way this way mm-hmm. and then it very slowly starts to write itself it's a really incredible shot really on a conceptual level it fits perfectly because she's shit-faced she just got raped yeah uh, so she's in a really horrible state of mind also she's having a crisis of faith everything is going wrong for Maud in this moment and the, everything about this shot the way it's set up the composition is really off kilter and it just has the slightest amount of motion to it and it's shot down that very narrow stairwell that she has to go down uh, to get to her tiny apartment. But yeah, she uh, has a full-on freakout in mm-hmm. her apartment. Uh, she's like calling out to God, like, I did everything that you asked of me. I changed everything the way you wanted me to. She's puking. She's convulsing on the floor. Uh, Mr. Roach comes back to play. Uh, there is water pouring out of the sink, which um, <clears throat> water is one of those symbols that pops up a lot of times and like, uh, transformative circumstances uh, it's it's one of those in-between yeah. elements that it always it always marks like an, a moment of uncertainty or like a, a mercurial atmosphere I guess and it makes sense um, because where she goes from here is kind of a shift like she's yeah she changes moving forward yeah and she wakes up and she finally cleans up her goddamn apartment Oof. Jesus like, no it's kind of <laughs> awful <laughs> Um, yeah uh this is where she walks on some tacks i believe yeah uh, so at the end the explosive conclusion to her freak out in the middle of the night involves a fireworks show and her floating yes above the ground projectile vomiting oh yes exorcist level projectile vomit but yeah she wakes up in the morning and she throws all of her clothing into trash bags and as soon as she was poking the pins, like the thumbtacks in, in the, I think it's a Jesus photo or a picture or something, uh, 
I was like, oh, I know where those are going. Yeah, immediately. And, uh, yeah, she she makes herself some needle needled uh, Chuck Taylors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> basically the uh, like she puts in the sole of the shoe uh, a pad made of thumbtacks that she has to walk upon. Uh, so yeah, this is her next uh, evolution in self harm. Again, very creative. Yeah. Uh, although I feel like this is like a extension of like an ancient practice of some sort. I'm sure somebody had the idea for like thorned sandals back in the day. Yeah, very possible. That sounds right, but you know, putting thumbtacks in a in a paper cutout of Jesus is, is a little bit that's the the 21st century variant, I guess. We were getting um, very creative with torture uh at some point and I think the Catholic Church was right there uh headlining that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. A lot of lives lost. But um, she goes walking about town, and a uh, combination of the sound effects and her, her facial expressions. It's like, yeah, that, that looks like the walk of a person who has Legos in their shoes. Yeah, <laughs> It's unpleasant, but uh, she clearly has Amanda on the mind because she goes out to like a... It's like a, but like a, what do you call that? It's like yeah, binoculars. No, the city binoculars, binoc- yeah. The most disgusting things you can put your hands on, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to touch those. Don't touch a lot that. Of, a, lot, a lot of seagulls have pooped on those. A lot of kids have licked them. It's just not sanitary. Ever since COVID and everybody's sanitizing, like, I don't touch do- I don't touch doorknobs or anything anymore with my hands. Yeah, everything is elbow. I use my foot. I use, yeah. I'm like, it's insane. I watch movies now. I'm like, it's insane how many germs are everywhere like people are just putting their hands on city things i'm like don't touch that why would you touch that it's disgusting it's like why is why is kyle so upset it's like how many goddamn times he gonna touch his face (laughs) i'm like every goddamn see people putting their hands on on like just doorknobs and stuff i'm like use your shirt like jeez it's disgusting i mean you you have a shirt on man yeah just just use it use it think about it but um, yeah, so Maud is inspired. She has a plan, and it involves Amanda. And uh, we are not privy exactly to what the details of said plan are. Uh, however, she is using her creative instincts to make like a collage, like which is never a good thing when nope. a sharp objects and collages are involved. Um, that's when a some crazy serial per- killer shit. When a, when, a, <laughs> when an insane person is making a collage, not in a mental hospital, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, any any of my friends that are listening. If you ever tell me that you are getting into collaging, <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not coming over anytime soon, man. <laughs> like you find a new hobby. So this is Aaron at the park. This is Aaron at the ferry. Uh, this is a strand of her hair. Uh, I was like, boy, that's that's a lot, of Aaron, huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Did she? Uh, uh, did she know you took these pictures? No. <laughs> Well, don't um, tell her. Yeah, <laughs> she she makes a collage out of the uh, paintings from the William Blake book that was given to her by Amanda, mm-hmm. and uh, also she's back to compulsively flicking that lighter. And uh, this is where we got that head-on shot that I was talking about, where I noticed that her eyes were different colors. It's yeah. super apparent now. And actually, I thought it was really awesome that that was the moment where I noticed it, because it's a major transition point in the story, so it's only fitting. Yeah. Um, but you know, in retrospect, uh, it's all it was always that way. But we have this really awkward fucking conversation uh, on the waterfront between Amanda's new nurse and Maud, and it starts off super friendly. Yeah. And Maud's like, "Oh, she pretends she isn't a medical professional. She's like, oh, I, I, I admire nurses. You guys, you guys do really fantastic work. I love what you guys do.'" And uh, 
this new nurse goes on and on about like, oh yeah, I, I get on pretty well with with my my patient. And Maud's like, really? Yeah, it's like that, crazy that, ex girlfriend nice. kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you're seeing her. Oh, how's that going? Is it not going very well? Oh no, it's going great. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I love that Maud just like storms off. Yeah, <laughs> like as soon up. as she gets all the information she needs, she like. Uh, I think the last thing that the other nurse says to her is she says, oh, my name is such and such, by the way. And Maude's just like, bye. <laughs> like, not a word. Just gets up and starts. <laughs> it's um, pretty great. Yeah. Uh, is this, now she has the, the conversation with the crucifix. Yeah. You want to walk us through that, Kyle? Yeah. Uh, so we he, she's talking. I don't know. The, there's a, something that keeps happening. I think the crucifix kind of falls off the wall a couple of times. Um, That's what triggers her... Uh, that's kind of what triggers her inspiration is yeah. that the the bundle of cloth that she put on her dresser when she first came back after being fired um it falls on its own and turns out that there's a crucifix wrapped up in it yeah and i guess she takes inspiration from that and but. yeah yeah so the the person or the crucifix the voice talking back to her is like you know you've never felt like you've belonged anywhere. You felt like you've never fit in. Your parents never understood. And now this is how you're going to get to, you're going to get to that next level, like get to that place where you need to be by doing this plan. It's kind of like the reassurance she needs. Um, very weird. Yeah. Uh, it's a really strange sequence. Um, and I really like that. They don't actually give her a presence to speak to. Mm-hmm. It's almost entirely a one-sided conversation, but it's just she, uh, again, the roach heralds the arrival of something spiritual. Uh, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she walks up to her dresser, which is adorned with all sorts of religious iconography. And then a really kind of creepy voice that I I would guess that it's probably her voice just heavily modulated or something. Probably. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't done research, but... Um, in the subtitles, it says that it's speaking Welsh, um, which is funny because our actress actually is Welsh as far as I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's not speaking Latin. It's speaking Welsh, which is fascinating. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Um, but basically, it's uh, telling her that, like, like Kyle had said, um, you've always felt out of place, but um, you're very close to, to coming into the, like the divine embrace. You just have one more thing you got to do. And, and it doesn't... Yeah, it's like what what that is. Uh, we the viewer are not told in this moment, but Maud's pretty sure she knows what she needs to do. Yeah, we previously saw Maud trash bag all of her clothes, um, and now she is clothing herself in her bed sheets, essentially. So she's made herself a gown of sorts. Um, we also see her. Uh, I think uh, she's blessing her uh, faucet water. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting it into a water bottle. So she's putting holy water into a water bottle. Um, and also we get a lot of close-ups of uh, chemicals yes. that she has stowed away in her home, uh, acetone being one of them. Um, I really like the imagery of her uh, bent over the sink, uh, the shimmering of the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. Again, water water is always a signal of, of some some sort of unease. Something is up. It's, it's always an interesting visual cue. Um, and yeah, around this time is when jo- Joy unexpectedly comes knocking on the door, and uh, Maud gives her the the standard crazy person line of "I'm busy." Yeah. <laughs> With what? Nothing. <laughs> it's, 
She's just walking around her apartment in her underwear. Um, she lets she lets Joy come in, and this is where I was like, we see the chemicals. Joy just kind of helps herself to a cigarette in her apartment. Um, I think it if you're saying that she like may have ran around with Joy, it might be okay. Like she probably's like maybe smoked in there before, or like just assumes that Joy or that assumes that Maud's okay with it. But yeah, but. At this point, Maud is completely untethered from reality. Uh, I don't know if you hear a word that Joy is saying in this moment. Like, it's all just... We, the viewer, hear everything she's saying, but Maud clearly doesn't really give a shit. I didn't... Uh, she's... I don't remember her saying... Like, I, I feel like it was just kind of like a pulsing noise. Like, there wasn't really anything being said. No, actually, you can clearly hear it. It's just we've been with Maud for so much of the movie, and in this moment, Maud is totally disengaged. Yeah. Like she's physically distancing herself. She spends the entire conversation. It's not a conversation. It's no. just Joy talking at her. Maud just is staring out the window, and we get a repeat of the whirlpool imagery in the form of the clouds that she's looking up into. Uh, we see like some CGI clouds starting to form a loose shape of a, a whirlpool, but. Um, Joy is being a good person here. Mm -hmm. Like, aside from, you know, smoking without asking in someone else's home. (laughs) That's kind of a dick move. But um, but she's she's reaching out. She's trying to form a connection, and Maude is totally unresponsive. And, again, this is part of why I like movies as, as opposed to, like, TV series sometimes, is that you only get what you get. And we don't know everything there is to know about Maude, but everything that Joy is saying right now is something bad she implies that something bad happened she says it's not your fault Maud. um you, you need to understand that i hope you do but Maud's not responding so it's basically joy is just trying to reassure her because she is aware that something really grisly happened in the past and she shouldn't feel bad about it um and she even says like it 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 helps to share mm-hmm. uh, but finally um when Maud does come back and does engage with her she like kisses her Mm-hmm. She like no words exchanged. She just like grabs hold of her head and pulls in for a kiss, and uh, the words that she finally has for Joy are probably not the ones Joy was hoping to hear. Um, she basically she says like, "Oh yeah, I I was really lost back then, but now she uses the word I am transformed." Yeah, and soon everything will be better. And Joy's like. Right. Right. <laughs> well, well, good. <laughs> I'm going to take your cutlery, all right? Uh. <laughs> well, uh, what? Uh, do you think sporks would be safe, or is that still too too dangerous? You could, you could jab an eye with that. Uh, oh, you could take an eyeball with yeah. a spork, never mind. Yeah. I thought we were going to get a Cape Fear, uh, a Scorsese Cape Fear. I thought that she was going to throw the chemicals on her while she was smoking. So, like, this whole, se- this whole sequence, I was on edge. I'm like, what's going to happen? Yeah, because Joy actually does discover the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Like we we do see that Joy acknowledges them. She does see them. So Joy's not framed as a dumb person. Like she's not dense. She knows something's up, but yeah. she's dealing with a person who, again, trauma. Man, yeah. like it, it, I feel like that's a really strong theme about this movie. Is that it's largely about how people handle, how people process things. Mm-hmm. And in Maud's case, she's not doing a good job well she's it's not working out like like the way she's going about things well a traumatic experience and i would say that that scene with amanda at the party that's a traumatic experience as well uh yeah that's 
socially that's that's hard to come back from and i would be very uncomfortable going into situations like that moving forward but you add the bar scene on top of that uh yeah things are just not going well for for mod yeah you have a person pushed into isolation who reaches some sort of epiphany after a really horrible night Mm -hmm. um and creates some sort of fantasy in their head about how to fix things and by the time we get to the end of it it's like you know i don't know how you like how you could spin that to actually make it make sense um unless you have some form of mental illness um because yeah like some of the stuff mod does earlier in the in the film it has some form some train of logic backing it yeah but by the time you get to the end here it's like oh we're there i don't know what we're doing yeah we're there but it's like i i you know i it's a horror film i kind of expected that something along these lines would have happened um but how that made things better <laughs> i i don't know that's up to you mod <laughs> but yeah joy joy pieces out uh knows full well that mod is not in a good place but you know nothing i can do right good, now yeah yeah she's a good nurse but she's not that good yeah <laughs> so, but but uh, yeah, uh, Maud sneaks up to Amanda's house in the middle of the night, waits for the other nurse that she met on the waterfront uh, to leave. And then I like that we um, reuse a camera angle, um, the shot down the staircase mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Maud returns to the house. Because it, it, it marks like a return. Where it's like this used to be a routine thing, but it's actually been like more than a half hour in the film since we've seen this. And she's wrapped in her sheet, by the way. Yes. Um. She, she looks like she is in... Uh, she she actually kind of reminded me of a Carrie's mom from uh from uh the Brian De Palma uh, Carrie movie. Oh, uh, Sissy Spacek was yeah, Carrie. Yeah. I can't remember what the mom. I I've only seen that movie one time, and it was a long time ago. I really like that movie, and in fact, the the party scene it reminded me a bit of they're all gonna laugh at you. <laughs> they're all gonna laugh at you. Oh, I feel. I really so, like. I really like that movie. I feel so bad for her in that movie. Excellent we casting. All do. Yeah, excellent casting. Um, Excellent casting, especially when you consider that the the source novel did not characterize Carrie as being that way at all. Yeah, that poor. Like in the book, I think she was actually a husky gal. Like she, she was large. Yeah. Um. But Sissy Spacek is most certainly not. Like, oh. but it worked really, really well. And that was uh, that was uh, John Travolta in his uh, Mr. Carter days. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Carter, Joe, uh, cheese. Oh fuck! What? Well, uh, uh, bi- uh, is it Vinny Bar- Barbarino? I think is his name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My <laughs> God! Well, I w- welcome back, Carter. Dude, I watched it. I watched a few clips of John Travolta in that show. Oh man. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a young Nancy Allen as well. Uh, that would be RoboCop's buddy Lewis. Ah. Lewis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. She and uh, Tra- Travolta were a pair in that movie. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carrie. I would do an episode on Carrie someday. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. A whole month of that. Everybody does that eventually. I'm if not. You're, if you're on the internet long enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. You're right. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing unless it's no. The new one. No, no. That's too much. That's too much to ask. Honestly. If you've seen it once, you've seen it one time too many. The TV movie, it has a lot of nostalgia value for me. Um, I will concede it's not fantastic. Tim Curry's fantastic yes. in it, but the whole, the whole thing is, is not. Um, it's super corny and not scary at all as an adult. But the new one, that first one I actually really like, but the second one is hot fucking trash. Is it? I'm going to watch the first one. I'm going I'm to pull... Sh- you actually should, because I actually 
like quite a bit of it, but the second one is shockingly bad when compared to the first one. It's okay. like, how do you fuck that up? It made money, Trevor. If it makes money, you just have to have a second one and a good trailer. That's all you need. No, I, I mean, it, it. the story wasn't finished, so it's like, in my mind, I would have been totally fine with them just having the first one and calling it good, because it, it actually does have an ending. Like, it does work pretty well, but, you know, that if you're going to adhere to the source text, it only makes sense to actually finish the story that the book came to, but and don't do it that way. For God's sake, don't do it that way. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, Maude is in the house, and uh, Amanda is in bed, and she is not looking good. No. She is knocking on death's door. And this is a really nice scene. Like, I, uh, uh, Maude comes in and immediately, like, Amanda doesn't even say, like, what are you doing here? She immediately apologizes to her. And you just feel bad. Like, Amanda's just like, listen, you, you were saying, I'm sorry I was unkind. You said things that I didn't want to think about. And, uh, like you were saying, like, how we deal with trauma, how people deal with trauma. Um, yeah. Uh, Amanda lashes out and is cunty. <laughs> it works for her <laughs> but actually i i think that's really lovely because that's like precisely what to say like that's exactly how to make that apology mm-hmm. like you made me think of things that i didn't want to this is why i was mean to you mm-hmm. because you made me very uncomfortable and upset and this is how i reacted i, I lashed out at you um but yeah it doesn't take long for things to get not so fun anymore um because you know they have their moment where they they seemingly make peace but then Maud wants to push it into a different place yes um and she starts uh forcibly yeah. crossing uh amanda with with her holy water she brought her, her yeah. water bottle with her um and amanda like keeps shooing her away like hey fuck off with that noise yeah no uh, seriously fuck so- off <laughs> <laughs> no seriously no seriously fuck off <laughs> Uh, um, but do do you want to describe the progression from here though, Kyle? Yeah, this was the most surprising part, and I rewatched this scene, and it got me a second time. I knew it was coming, and it got me a second time. Um, this is good. I like the way this this devolves. Like she, she's like, just stop it. And she's like, and then she starts like, uh, I don't know how much of this is Amanda, and how much this is like. It's not clear what Amanda's saying, and what Maude is imagining. Uh, because she's just like you, like you silly girl, like, you know, he's not real. Like it's just made up and it's kind of like breaking her, like, like kind of breaking her down. Like she kind of knows it's not real. And this was, I think this was a way for her to think that it's real was completing this task. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of like staring into the abyss or like standing at the, standing at the precipice of doom and seeing it through regardless because she does get to that point where um really amazing acting on the part of uh morth morthid is that correct morthid clark um morth morthid morth yeah morthid clark morthid clark we're we're probably fucking it up every way imaginable but you know we're trying our best we're both dumb americans sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry miss clark sorry about that um but really amazing acting on both of their parts. But her in particular, she, you know, she gets extra screen time. But also just this one moment where uh, Amanda confesses that when they had their moment together on the couch, mm-hmm. she. This is where she has that line I mentioned earlier. You have no idea how dull it is to be dying. And basically, she's playing at the idea that yeah, I was 
I didn't really feel God. I, I, I felt something, but I was mostly just playing along with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she tells her straight up, like, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's he isn't real. just you and yeah, it's just you and me in this room. Yeah. And but then she has to if she had left it there, maybe she wouldn't be dead today. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but as quickly. She, she has to as quickly. Yeah. I mean she most certainly is going to succumb to her illness, but in like a week. Not this way. <laughs> yeah. But um, she has to be extra forceful with it and she says, Nothing you do matters. It's like, oof. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, very poor choice of words. Very poor choice of words. <laughs> um, but the face uh, that Maud makes after that statement is like devastating. Oh my God. That that's the face of somebody that had someone break inside them. Yeah, like like everything, their world just fell apart. It's a, uh, it's it's pretty bad. But I think that is kind of the cutoff point to where Amanda's no longer in the room. Yeah. Um, do you want to describe what I'm referring to here? Uh, yeah. So this, it's a it's a big time jump scare. Uh, <laughs> she like launched. Uh, she like launches her across the room and like throws her into uh, a mirror, and we get like a voice modulation. And this is really creepy because um, Amanda has like the uh, uh, Amanda has the higher ground. Like she's. Like the way it's, way it's shot is like you see Maud like over her shoulder and like Amanda's like starting to creep like a like a creature of some kind towards her and I'm like oh fuck like <laughs> this scared the shit out of me when I was watching it like oh man because uh, it's just out of nowhere like we haven't had this in the movie and um, it it's kind of implied that Maud is perceiving her as like a demonic force like she's the devil or some kind of demon and she's just like you're like weak in your faith and you like you're just rattled so easily like this she's just antagonizing her basically yeah it it comes across as like a scene straight from the exorcist or yeah. something yeah. this is a demonic presence a possessed person telling her i you're you're as weak as your faith yeah. which obviously means quite a bit to Maud uh, so um, by the way, the the scissors that Maud uses to kill her, she's been using throughout the entire film to do like her her collaging and whatnot. They're very ornate. <laughs> do you think that the 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 cunt in the beginning was maybe a little bit of a nod to The Exorcist? I mean, I think I mean could be because we've got a lot of like like crucify a lot of crucifixes in here. Uh, not it's not a possession movie, but uh, that could have been a little tip of the hat. <laughs> yeah, uh, who knows? I mean. it's... Because that's it's, one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm curious what uh, what's a what's her face? Uh, uh Linda, Linda, Linda Blair. Blair. Yeah. I'm curious what her parents thought about that. <laughs> I, I always wonder, like, what was the big deal with The Exorcist? Like, I, I'm like, I, I've seen some of it. For some reason, I completely missed that scene. So when I rewatched it, like, I think last maybe this last Halloween or like maybe the year before. When I got to that scene, I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, audiences in 1973? Probably not ready for that. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that movie's still very, very intense. It's a really well put together film. But, um, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think she was, I think I remember seeing an interview with her where she said, like, she was just young enough where she didn't entirely understand what she was being asked to do. <laughs> which is probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, that scene in particular is. Ooh. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah! Wow! Wow! Um, but yeah, uh, Maud charges across the room and she stabs Amanda slash this demon or whatever to death. It is frantic, like 
it's it's like terror like it's not even like like a quick shanking it's just like it's like good jabs in there but it like fast like crazy fast and i like the way this transitions where uh when she kind of leans back there seems to be like amanda it seems like she's just killed a creature or wounded a creature but it kind of shifts and you as the viewer are like oh no she just killed a dying woman and assuming the dying woman had no idea why she just got killed basically yeah um they they do a very good job of making amanda seem very frail and mm. very vulnerable in her final moment um by the way the the bedroom set kind of reminds me of like the was it like the space in be- it's uh it's like the place upstairs or something from uh, twin peaks uh, i forget i forget what they call it but it's it's like the supernatural place above the gas station or whatever i said season two um, i didn't get to i don't think i quite got through season two it's the place with all the curtains oh okay you've yes, seen yes, yes, images yes, yes, yes. you've seen images of it even if you haven't seen i know what you're talking about yeah yeah but um as is customary for uh any good horror movie we have a shot of mod on some roller skates because that's that's a tool you have to have on the set for any good <laughs> pseudo supernatural horror movie um and the look on Maud's face as she's covered in blood and like rolling towards the camera—it's a tracking shot where the camera's stable and she's like rolling along with us. You, you need to specify <laughs> she's not wearing roller skates. The character, the actress, <laughs> is wearing roller skates. Uh, yes, but she is elated at this point. Like she is. Oh yeah. Yeah, she. She is, is ecstatic. She is feeling good, and yeah, she's all bloody and nasty and. She goes back down to her, her uh, like, you just get a shot of her, like, washing her hands in the water. Um, and it's weird that she's not washing under a sink. It's like a, a, a sink filled with water, and she's washing it, which I was like, huh, that's kind of strange. Um, usually you just run the water. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what that was all about, but uh, it seems to work for her. But I thought this was a really curious element of the story, where, again, this, at this point we're in full-on madness territory yeah nothing makes sense except to mod and we the viewer are privy to certain images that mod is envisioning but we're not privy to her thoughts any longer like we used to have voiceover to kind of hash out some of the details that's gone so now we're just like i don't know what the fuck she's doing i don't know why she's doing it but she's doing it she seems pretty happy about it um but what i thought was curious is that she murders this woman she goes home and she cleans up and she goes to bed yeah she just goes to bed yeah like the plan is to call it a day for now and then resume resume production in the morning <laughs> i was well, like no like that's how you can tell you're de- dealing with somebody who doesn't have their shit together we never normally a normally a plan like factors in the risk factor of murdering a person <laughs> this was pr- this was not premeditated uh this was at least i don't think so um subconsciously premeditated but i don't think mod herself planned on killing her um well if you if you asked and if you asked mod it wasn't her idea (laughs) but we never the the welsh the welsh cockroach in her apartment told her to do it we never see mod wake up or go to sleep throughout the film yeah we see her in bed but yeah i don't think we ever really see her shut her eyes and i i think they probably did this like she has like bags under her eyes i mean it could just be that she's just like a little older but i can kind of read it as she doesn't sleep like she's sleep deprived she doesn't sleep and i saw this her going to bed is her getting rest basically 
Yeah, actually, that would have been an interesting touch where, like, you see her struggling to sleep for much of the movie, and then, like, after she does this horrible thing, she sleeps like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she gets up in the morning, and she puts on her robe again. <laughs> Tyler but before Durden. she does. <laughs> Tyler Durden. <laughs> Babies don't sleep this well. <laughs> um, before she heads out for the morning, though, uh, we get to see her... Again, this is probably her projecting images that we, the viewer, get to see. Um, she has glowing wings in her apartment. Yes. Glowing uh, wings. I think that's, uh, I think those are her own projection. I don't think that's that she per- actually Perhaps. <laughs> Maybe this is a secret X-Men movie or something, and she's related to Archangel or something. But, uh, yeah, she has glowing wings, and it's only for one shot, but she looks very self-satisfied, and then we see her go out on the town, in the the wee hours of the morning she has a robe on again she got a shopping bag with her uh and she walks out to the beach and uh i love that there's this dude that she passes as she's heading out to the beach where we just see him get like give her one of these looks like a what the fuck is she doing she's wearing (laughs) she's wearing bed sheets as a robe it looks like and she's carrying i mean it would be a little bit strange to see first thing in the morning. Like, there's a girl in bed sheets walking down the boardwalk with a bucket of something, a tub of something. I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah, and she got two different colored eyes that, yeah. right there. That's a little alarming. But, yeah, um, yeah, I, I love right before she, spoiler alert, she dumps a bunch of acetone on top of her head. Um, uh, right before, though, we get a sustained shot of, like, 10 seconds maybe 15 seconds of just it's just her head in the frame singing a churchy tune to herself and i think it speaks to the some of the themes of the film of, of like trauma and isolation it's like this is a character who is is very very alone throughout much of this movie oh yeah she's like you're the lone like amanda says to her she's like you're the loneliest girl i've ever met and it's really sad but there's like a funnel there's like something opening up in the clouds uh, we can kind of assume that she's thinking it's God taking her to heaven kind of thing. But yes, uh, I like this scene where she starts pouring, uh, she starts pouring the, the, the chemicals on her and people are like, what is she doing? Like people are starting to kind of gather at this point. Um, and she, the flicking of the lighter, she, uh, she sets herself on fire and everybody like her wings spread even more. And everybody on the beach kind of like fall down and kind of like on their knees. And it was really like, that's a really weird way to end this movie. And then uh, cut to her screaming from burning alive. It's an excellent cut. Uh, yeah. I. It's an excellent, it's a, it's technically a jump cut, but it's really, really well done. Blah. And yeah. they, they hold on it just just, in, enough, just yeah. enough yeah. like if it was any more it would be like okay it's enough but I it's don't... very brief but it's like it's jarring and it's like oh oh that's all i needed <laughs> like i know what happened yeah. <laughs> um, it's might pretty be great one of the best horror movies under 90 minutes <laughs> <laughs> honestly i don't know that might be a surprisingly crowded category it, uh, in the 80s yeah yeah because there's there's you know a shit ton of horror movies so i'm sure you know and most of them were done on the cheap so yeah. part of cheap also translates to short sometimes so 
I'm sure there are a lot of sub 90 minute horror movies out there. I don't know how many of them are good, but yeah, this is 84 minutes of mostly good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not mind blowing. It's not going to rock your world. It's not going to completely change your perception of horror films, but you will enjoy it. It's good. Yes. It is a good nifty. Nifty. Yeah. You called it. It's a nifty. (laughs) It's a nifty. And I'm not trying to like put down the, the effort. I'm like, it's just a nifty little horror movie. Yeah. It's a nifty little horror film. And, uh, I think I caught at the top of the credits that uh, Rose Glass was both director and writer, mm-hmm. um, and I I, I want to say they they're very talented at both. I mean, I, I seems like they're at the very beginning of their career, um, but in particular, I thought the structure of the film, I thought the writing uh, was very ably executed. Um, the direction is very very solid as well, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the whole, it's it's a work of quality, um, and they did a really good job with the characters. Um, it's it's never an easy task um, forcing your viewer to spend this like 84 minutes with a really uncomfortable individual and have it be good and enjoyable, uh, but they pulled it off. Um, but yeah, this was kind of a treat. Uh, this came totally out of left field. I think actually, I may have like recommended this one to you, you and did. then you watched it, and then like a good month or two later, you're recommending it for the show so that that worked out i i do that way too often i suggest movies to people and then i don't really get around to actually watching them myself <laughs> yeah I, uh i'd like to i'd keep my eye on this director i'd like to see, i'd like to see her do i feel like she's got a, a costume drama just on up her sleeve i was looking at like she's only done short films so this is her first feature-length film um that i could see on on her imdb but uh like girl, if you're gonna keep it up with uh, keep it up with the horror, I'm like, well, all right, I'll keep my eyes open. Let's see what else you can do. I'm I'm curious. Well, in that case, yeah, I mean, it's a good film, but made even better by the fact that it's a debut. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I would definitely watch anything else that Rose Glass puts out in the future. Uh, so yeah, this one ended up being a good time. Um, like I said, though, this month doesn't really have any themes, so I have no fucking clue what we're doing next week. Uh, we could be doing the Care Bears movie, for all I know. Yeah, we're not going to be doing it. Kyle's like, I'm not even going to be on the show, but we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about it for uh, St. Maud uh, from 2019, directed by Rose Glass. Um, and if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that located on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit us up there, and I will get back to you in a jiffy. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. Uh, so fucking Google it. Google it. And uh, that being said... Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I heard that one. Yeah, you heard that one.